Hello and welcome to episode 189 of the Crate and Crowbar. It is the 16th of May, 2017. My name is Chris Thurston and tonight I'm joined by Tom Francis. Hello. And Philippa War. Hello. Pip, you busy? Uh, <laughs> they can't hear this. They can't hear you. They can now. They can now. Oh, what are you up to, Pip? Well, I was sorting my Lego cards by number. <laughs> number of... No, they've got numbers on them. Oh, okay. Yes. Is it their thought... atomic weight? Well, I don't know, actually, and I don't really know what the symbols are, because the janitor has scissors, and most other things have the weird rock, and then there's rock a mermaid famously beats with scissors. a piece of paper. <laughs> I think you might have gotten to the bottom of this. No, but then, where, why is... Uh, oh, yes, no, okay. Well... There's one on the shotgun. No, one of them is the Lego icon, but I suppose that would make sense because they're Lego cards, so <laughs> yes, <laughs> I suppose so. But that might exist outside the rock, paper, scissors dynamic. <laughs> yeah. Supersedes all I think them. Lego would beat all of them if it's made by Lego. Mm. What was the... The Big Bang Theory had a thing, didn't it? It was rock, paper, scissors, scissors something, lizard, Spock. Or something. <laughs> I don't know. That was a thing. There is, um, there are variants of rock paper scissors that go up to like fifty different elements, and huh. there's like a graph of which things beat which for each of them. And, and they're... it's called Dota Two. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. isn't rock paper scissors just a way of getting out of tasks you don't want to do? <laughs> so why, it's also what... the basis of a huge amount of um, does this strategy game design. But does the strategizing for the graph give one person an edge because that's no. the only reason for complicating it up right is if it gives you the edge because you know more of the rps oh yeah lore. well you'd have an advantage if you knew more of them <laughs> I but they don't so. really like none of them are better than the others how many different the thing you could do though is because you know your opponent's probably going to go for rock paper or scissors you could choose one of the other 35 <laughs> things uh that is that'll beat at least one of those and then there's no chance they'll beat you or you pick something where none of those three things beat it but it beats at least one of those i wonder how many of them you'd be able to tell that someone was going to do by the way they were holding their hands yeah because i suppose after a certain amount of time you run out of gestures that you can really easily switch yeah to the cold fusion one takes about 15 minutes to perform so they have to start <laughs> early and it really shows their hand <laughs> Literally. Yes. <laughs> nice. Thanks. You mm. can tell it's a slow news week, can't you? <laughs> well, it's a pre E3 news week, which is that's rather not our fault, is it? No, indeed. That's just the consumerist cycle. <laughs> it is. That's the deepest thing I've ever been told by someone who's sorting Lego stickers. <laughs> well, I don't know. My niece was sorting out her Lego stickers when she was telling me about injection molding, and she's four. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> the other pip <laughs> she knew that from watching a lego documentary it all comes full yeah. circle <laughs> or the rest of the square <laughs> squaring the circle what are we talking about games yes. sorry sorry pip. no you saying no, no? Okay. Oh, it's just i like circles and squares <laughs> triangles too <laughs> and the letter of the week is a <laughs> interesting for, I don't know, I don't know what I was going Or with. it could be E for E3, because some it, stuff was announced. But no, because then we have to wait until E3 week, because then the, this episode has been brought to you by the letter, letter e, e and the number three. Yeah, the mm. rest of that bit mm. really does fall into place in about <laughs> two weeks. Um, 
yeah so we're seeing the the slow the slow trickle of leaks and information as companies race each other to make e3 let's not go let's not go overboard with according these things the status of information (laughs) what i guess i'm getting around to saying is that stuff we said last week about maybe there being a new assassin's creed and maybe there being a new far cry those things are true yeah, they have said nothing about Far Cry 5, as far as I can see. It's just no. literally says Far Cry 5, and then the Assassin's Creed one is just like, a new era begins, and it's a gif. So you're like, you watch this, those words fade in, you're like, okay, and then it just fades in again, and it just fades in again. <laughs> like, that's the gif. It's just that's the new words. era beginning like, right there. There's no need for that to be a gif. <laughs> it could easily be a static image. Yeah, but engagement, Tom. I wasn't more engaged, I was more annoyed. That's, <laughs> that's the same en- thing. That's engagement. <laughs> you had an emotion towards a brand yeah exactly that's that's how this whole thing works i will say this pointlessly reading between the lines i think the typeface of the far cry logo (laughs) suggests that our hopes and dreams for a cowboy far cry are now dead oh really yeah it's very clean it's very clean and it's got well they don't use the wanted poster font do they (laughs) does that bullet holes in the cowboy font yeah um it's very clean for one thing but also and also it's called far cry 5 not i don't think i think if it was going to be a big settings change it would be like Primal, where it would have a subtitle. I'm going to take Although, issue with um, Assassin's Creed saying that a new era is beginning, though, because isn't the whole point of Ass Creed that they're all set in the past and everything's already happened? So it's not really a new era maybe beginning. This one isn't. We found a new era to maybe this one's all future. mine out, you know? Yeah. Who knows? Mm, Even maybe. though it's definitely Egypt. Um, <laughs> What's uh, new in Egypt? <laughs> Far Cry, I think, uh, is a series where the, the numbered ones are a bigger deal than the named ones. Mm. So Far Cry 5, I think, signals a, a bigger event than Far Cry Primal, which was kind of had that weird thing where it was based on the geography of <laughs> Far Cry 4 for some reason. Yeah, true. What Who knows? Blood Dragon? That was the 80s one. That was an expansion for Far Cry 3. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, and the other thing is that the, the logo does the red blue color separation thing that is this year's teal orange <laughs> contrast it's on everything now everything is red and blue this year no you noticed it? yeah star wars is red and blue this year was it yeah like when so you know which, how you which know, star wars the star wars movie that's coming out at the end of the year the very prominently red and blue poster seriously i don't remember this is that the one that looks like face off yes right yeah no um, i don't remember i don't think i've seen it i think i saw face off with star wars written under it i just assumed that was the poster <laughs> but i think it was someone making a clever joke on Twitter right. that i then didn't get and just assumed because i haven't seen face off that it was the star wars poster in passing um <laughs> but yeah no if you look everywhere this year um instead of where, where previously every game in the world every movie in the world was um teal and orange Everything is is red and blue, like primary colors, red and blue this year. <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy is um, Thor Ragnarok has that in its logo. It's the yeah, it's a new thing. Yeah. Don't just take it from me. Well, you're basically just going to take it from me, but no, it's <laughs> literally everywhere. So that's the only thing that I noticed about it, and that's about the most lukewarm take imaginable. <laughs> well, I think the logo adheres to modern design trends. Still <laughs> haven't given us any information, have they? Yeah, they okay. basically said. You know those things that you knew were happening and that we knew that you knew were happening, but we weren't going to say anything because it didn't fit our marketing schedule. Well, they're happening and you can watch them as you suspected at our E3 thing that we kind of already announced the timings for anyway. Yeah. So. I did hear some news that was in interest to me. I don't know if it would be interest to anyone else. Save us, Tom. Um, <laughs> it was uh, initially baffling news. Um 
that John Schaefer, designer of Civ Five, <laughs> I'm pretty sure, um, uh, he has joined Paradox. And that confused me because the article I read was, was he's left for access to join Par- Paradox. But the thing I knew about John Schaefer was that he left for access like two years ago to go indie. And he was making a game called At the Gates, which was about the barbarians um, at the gates of the Roman Empire. And like you sort of uh, has this beautiful uh, watercolor style. Like it looks like it's watercolor painted on a parchment. Um, mm. And the undiscovered parts of the map are just plain parchment. And then they get kind of filled in beautifully as you explore. Um, and also has loads of really interesting design ideas in it. And um, apparently he's, he's joined Paradox and he's working on a new 4X game for them. Well, I can't actually remember for sure if it said 4X, but strategy. Um, it probably is 4X. Um, but he's also continuing without the gates, apparently, um, in addition to that. So I guess he's it's become a spare time thing. Spare time, isn't he? Yeah, I guess so. Um, that's, I mean, that has gone on a long time. Um, uh, <laughs> I'd be surprised to nobody that uh, an indie game <laughs> um, took longer than expected. And... Um, so I don't know, like, what the situation is there, whether, um, like, whether the ETA for that is going to change dramatically. I imagine it probably is. Um, but yeah, I'm still looking forward to that. It's really cool. Mm. What's this new thing for Paradox? They announced any details for that? Or no, oh. <laughs> literally nothing. No title. Uh, uh, but there is a an interview on uh, or an article on PC Gamer um, about how it's somewhat inspired by Spelunky. Um, and in particular, that thing of like the run in Splunky where you find a jetpack early on and that changes your whole mm. playthrough. That's the, an element that John wants to get in this game and thinks that can apply to strategy games as well. Like you start this map and suddenly there's just shitloads of oil right next to where you start and that's going to totally change everything that, that comes after that. It's mm. a good idea. Mm. Yeah, I think that's, um, there's an element to that in, in Forks games already. Like, yeah, you can definitely have a map in some of them where like the thing you start next to has a huge influence on, on uh, what happens after that. And I would also say like um, Mars game <laughs> off world trading colony, <laughs> um, which is by another former lead designer of a Civ game um, has that as well. Like that's really, that's really strong variants on the maps of like this area just has a shitload of carbon and no iron. And then mm. this other area has loads of silicon and a fair bit of iron and some water. And uh, half of that game for me was just picking where you're going to start on that map because there's such a big difference in that. Yeah. I suppose that's pretty different to Splunky because you see all your options and you get to choose where you start rather than it being random. Mm. But like, would it have the same impact, do you think, if it was in a 4X game? Because... I think if you ended up knowing which conditions were more fun or better to play on, would you not just keep hitting regenerate until you got a seed yeah. that you were happy to start on? Because if there's just like a kind of, well, this is going to be a slog for a million years and I know it looking at this relatively barren map or mm. this thing with a few resources that don't lead anywhere fun very fast. Yeah, you're investing a lot more in a Forex game, aren't you? So yeah. if, if it's not the thing you want then you might um endlessly restart that's you could make it so that you don't really know what you've got at the start it takes you like 15 minutes of play to fully explore the surrounding area and then discover like oh now i see what my resources are like and hopefully i mean if you do your job right then i would think that a game where you're very starved for resources could be as interesting as one where you're very rich in them like 
Mm. You might get as good stories out of that as you do from having an advantage. I wonder if many people do that with Spelunky, like play the first couple of... Yeah, well, speedrunners do. (laughs) That's that's more or less how you speedrun that game, is just keep restarting until you get the right combination of this in a crate and then a shop on level two and then the shop is selling this. But speedrunning is super niche, really. And so I was just wondering whether, like... Because with 4X, it does feel like you would game it so that you would get maybe the optimal conditions, but just a fun condition. And there will be people who just go, okay, fine, I'll just go with whatever it gives me, but... I imagine I would probably roll the dice a fair few times. Mm. Do you, but it wasn't confirmed that it was a 4X game specifically, though, was it? Um, I don't remember. Oh, okay. Right. Just in case it's some other kind of short-form strategy it, that I might think be. It's, mm, yeah, I suppose... It, I think... Pretty sure it said strategy game. It's paradox. <laughs> so I'm thinking <laughs> grand strategy. Maybe it's just like sieve but with a jetpack <laughs> so you just play we thought it was like... metaphorical but it's actually literally yeah, saying, I'm yeah. just going to add a jetpack to yeah, you're, you're, oh great you, you, you went this <laughs> for that a jetpack. oh no that wasn't that that wasn't a bronze mine that was, that was a jetpack mine <laughs> oh look it's jetpack Boudicca and there's no effect on the game whatsoever it's just that when you go through the diplomacy screen everyone's hovering slightly yeah well no also she can go across lakes you know extremely slowly the same speed as a boat to make sure yeah, you don't have too much exactly. <laughs> but just you know with a chariot but with yeah. a jetpack on it on it would be fine i have a double bear if you would like <laughs> double bear yeah i have a, a spare bear what was the um gravity falls has a, a creature that's just called the multi-bear i think <laughs> it's just a bear with many limbs <laughs> But yeah, so that's my my swap. Thanks. <laughs> Is that your only duplicate? Bit? Is it a swap yeah. for news? You get a bear card yeah. for news. Yeah, if it's, if it's news more more significant than a logo and news analysis more significant <laughs> than that logo is these colors you get a card from pip yeah that's our new incentivization program dish them out. although you can have like the bad ones if you are bad at this job <laughs> <laughs> what are the bad ones um well i don't like the look of this elf okay <laughs> well <laughs> we'll cross that bridge so when we come to, to it so well actually you tell like you what i do have so we, we've had some some nice feedback about our commitment to podcasts to go actually to try and say the names of games that we're talking mm. about mm. semi-regularly as we talk about them to avoid people getting confused mm. deep into a, a, a ramble but that game doesn't have a name uh no uh, no that game doesn't no. we're saying it's silent name constantly um but you know as we progress in the podcast maybe people's success or failure at that task could be rewarded with at least temporary ownership of a lego card yeah okay it's good that we adults have found a way to um encourage ourselves to incentivization yeah indeed Mm. indeed okay um cool what have you been playing tom um a bit of various things uh i've actually been uh consumed um with a puzzle game that alex Wiltshire recommended uh, i think comes to us via alan hazelden actually um but it's called, not an alan hazelden game no uh it's called hanano and it's by uh i believe the designer of jelly no puzzle which it also looks extremely like hmm. and uh both this and jelly no puzzle are um puzzle games about moving blocks around so it explains why Alan Hazelden likes them. <laughs> um, that is, I think it's fair to say, his genre. Um, He's the Liam Neeson in Taken of bot pushing boxes. <laughs> I actually can't remember how Jelly No Puzzle works at all, but it, I remember liking it a lot years ago. And uh, in Hanano, you're moving coloured blocks around, um, and 
the blocks you can move uh, are just um, single cubes uh, or squares. And then you're trying to get them to touch flower blocks of the same color. And if you move like a red block to a red flower, then a red flower sprouts from that block. And now it's a two by one block. And uh, you can still move it around. But um, normally with like single blocks, you can switch them uh, if they... You, so you push one against the other and then you can just ex- exchange places, which is unusual for these kinds of games because you, they're all about like basically log jams and things getting stuck and um, uh, it's very hard to move one thing past another. Uh, these, you can move them if they're one if they're one by one. If they're like two by one vertically, then you can switch them with a single block on the ground. If they're two by one horizontally, you can't because it's too wide. So it's like it's not exchanging places with something that's the same uh, extent in its own dimension. And the only other twist to it is that um, as well as blocks that sprout a flower upwards, there are blocks that sprout a flower leftwards or rightwards or downwards. Um, and those are indicated just by an arrow on the block. So you know what it's going to do when it sprouts. And the rule that they sprout when they touch a flower applies also to the flowers that sprout out of them. So you can have hmm. like a chain reaction. So if you have two oh. on top of each other and one of them sprouts, when it pushes a flower up into the other one, it's now touching a flower. So that one sprouts as well. And... Uh, there are loads of interesting, you know, consequences of that mechanic. It's really, um, me, Alex Ultra and Graham Smith have all been playing it, uh, and sharing, uh, frustrations and, uh, excitement with it, which I think is probably a lot of why I've stuck with it. Um, but also I do really enjoy it and I, it's really interesting to me why to try and figure out why I like certain puzzle games and not others. Cause there are like, I must have played a hundred puzzle games that are about pushing blocks around with just one extra rule. Like you push the blocks around and then in this one circumstance, they do something else. Like they mm. stick to each other or they disappear or they mm. uh, move up one space. Um, and this one is really satisfying. And it is, it has the same thing that uh, Alan's games also have where it, where it just looks outright fucking impossible. Just every screen is just like, oh, come on, that just can't be done. It just obviously can't be done. Um, Cause like, and actually, I think this is a bit of a failing of the game because I probably would have given up on it if it wasn't for uh, friends playing it as well. Um, because the, there's no easy puzzle. There's not a single introductory one that just just mm. to ease you in. Like the very first puzzle explains the rules in really like step by step as if it's going to baby you. And then the puzzle itself is just like, what the fuck? <laughs> this just can't be done. <laughs> and uh, the solution is complicated and difficult. And uh, I always think uh, puzzle, even like, even puzzle game designers who want to give you a really challenging, difficult time should just give you one that you can solve. Because mm-hmm. I think I talked about this when I'm talking about Steven Sausage Roll. That was, uh, I couldn't solve any puzzles at all in that game until I watched a video of someone solving a puzzle. And it didn't even matter which one it was. As soon as I saw that, I immediately solved like four. Mm. Because now I know what a solution looks like. Like I know that I'm, there's no control I'm missing or some ability I didn't know about. Mm. I um, think you're weak. <laughs> <laughs> Get good, says Pip. <laughs> Thanks yeah. for that input. Too. <laughs> Have a card. That's one of the ones I You've don't given like. <laughs> clumsy guy. Yes. <laughs> he's a paper. Mm. And he's got a picture of a banana skin on his on his shirt, which suggests he kind of supports the things that have been destroying his life. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, actually. Maybe this is his way of taking ownership over what it previously felt to him as a lack of control. <laughs> maybe. Well, maybe I'll just Sorry, wear you on my chest. <laughs> He's, um, this guy, unlucky chap could fall up a flight of stairs, the description says. Uh, I it actually sounds like a superpower. 
Yeah. That's just tripping forwards, isn't it, when you're going upstairs? Yeah, but I got quite far, which oh, is... Okay. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I made a lot of progress today. I was in a Burger King in Paddington and just <laughs> flew up those things for no reason. It was really unsettling. Blimey. <laughs> <laughs> it's like paranormal activity five. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Uh, flies up some stairs in a Burger King. <laughs> I did wonder what you people were talking about with your I've managed to do this level or that level. Uh, oh, I think oh, you missed I saw, the start. Yeah, and I think I saw Alan Hazelden mentioned, so I thought, oh, maybe you're talking about Cosmic, but then that doesn't make sense with how you refer to the levels yeah. in that system. So, Well, Cosmic Encounters is an interesting Cosmic, sorry, uh, Cosmic Express yeah. is an interesting sorry. Um, point of comparison because I... Yeah, I played a bunch of that and I liked I liked it when it was doable <laughs> and then when it got impossible I it was you know the same feeling I get with all of these things when it seems impossible um, except I just never got out of that really it was just like ah, I just I can <laughs> randomly draw tracks for a while but I just kind of can't make any progress here um, okay. whereas this the process of like solving these like games that present you with situations that seem impossible, I think is a special class of puzzle game because there are puzzle games that don't do that. They're just like, they teach you a mechanic and then you use the mechanic in an intuitive way. Then you use it in a slightly less intuitive way. Then you use it in a slightly less intuitive way. And then you chain it together with something else. And then you move on to the next mechanic. Like there are mm-hmm. puzzle games that do that. And they never present you with a situation that seems impossible. And yeah. then there are others that just never do anything else. It's like everything always seems impossible. Um, and I like some of them a lot and other ones don't click with me. And I think the reason this one does I think when you're trying to solve those puzzles, you're always, uh, like the most useful trick I've learned solving these is to, um, try and figure out what the last step of the solution is. Mm. Cause you can see, like, obviously I have to get all of these cubes to the flowers. Um, and, uh, that's difficult because the initial condition and sometimes you can see, well, whatever the solution is, it's going to involve a blue block getting to this square. Mm. And so how can I make that happen? And then kind of go back one step and see if you can make that happen. That's um, how I approach most of Cosmic Express is because right. it really lends itself to reverse engineering just because the grids are quite contained. And so there are only a certain amount of um, possibilities or at least that's how my mind works, I think. Mm, right. I don't like it when those would, if those had ever got too big, because yeah. then I'm like, I can't hold all of the possibility space yeah, in the, my mind. The possibility space for solutions in Cosmic Express feels enormous, and I find that intimidating. Like I just, uh, I can try a, a solution, but I can tell it's one of three thousand that I could have tried, and if that doesn't work, I'm like, oh, I don't know where to go from here. Whereas this, the, I think the way I solve them is, um, I need to find some things that are just clearly uh, that really are impossible. <laughs> so it's like the Sherlock thing, Sherlock Holmes thing of. Um, after you've eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the solution. And if you can find just any anything that really is true about, like, situation X cannot be part of the solution. Um, and so in Hanano, there is... Uh, if you're on a level where uh, all of the blocks sprout upwards, which is most of the early ones, they all just sprout a flower on top of them, um, then if you move a block that hasn't sprouted yet to the lowest point on the level and there isn't a flower on that lowest level then you're fucked like i don't think there's any way out of the situation like i I might be wrong and maybe the game's going to teach me this eventually but as far as i can tell that's never going to be part of the solution because there's no the only way to lift it up would be to have a block sprout underneath it and if it's on the lowest level no block could ever get underneath it and so that's just a kind of inherently impossible situation and as soon as you factor that in that's great because suddenly like the you know 20 different 
ways you could go with this solution like five of them now are just impossible like okay mm. we definitely can't do that like whatever it is it doesn't involve putting a block down there and so many levels look like you have to do that so many levels like a block will just start lower than the flower that it has to get to and you're like what <laughs> um and then it's it's really clever in the way it, it's um uh sort of gives you ways around that and um and forces you to like okay well if that really really can't happen then this other thing that also seems impossible, I must be wrong about that. There must be some way to solve that other thing. Yeah. Mm. I think that satisfaction of reducing the possibility space of a puzzle is like the, the, the hallmark of like a really good puzzle. Like if I was going to mm. try and like identify why are puzzles fun, it's because of that particular pleasure of knowing that you've just partially solved something and then the kind of the payoff of getting the solution yeah it's, it's why it's you know this is why i would defend a sudoku as a concept but also specifically <laughs> its use in in mass effect andromeda because i find those kinds of puzzles really sort of satisfying as kind of one-off things that kind of rapid fire process of eliminating possibilities until what remains has to be correct is really gratifying and kind yeah. of feels like a, feels sounds dumb it almost feels like a the faster you can do it, the faster you can kind of make that inf- make those decisions and hold that information in your brain and then act on it. Feels more like a kind of not a twitch skill, but more like more like a kind of really engaging thing than just sort of trying to brute force a puzzle. Yeah, in Mass Effect's uh, Sudoku thing, the main challenge for me is that I don't have names for the symbols, so I have to make. I them ended up, up <laughs> with names for all of those symbols. Wacky G. <laughs> Good old Wacky G. Wacky G. All, all, unfortunately, all of my um, all of my like um names for those alien glyphs in mass effect sudoku are lesser known like wu-tang clan members <laughs> so like backwards e um <laughs> but yeah but nonetheless like because and then you get in that rhythm with yourself where it's like well that can't be wacky g so <laughs> got- i know anything about wacky g you wouldn't be seen dead in that square it's got to be freaky a <laughs> I think, I don't know, I prefer, or don't prefer, mm-hmm, maybe I do, I prefer the um, the sense of absolutely smashing your head against the solution and not being able to find it, and then suddenly having something give way, mm. and it's not brute forcing, it's more just that something shifts in how you think, mm. and you see more. You see the possibilities expanding just yeah. even by one thing, but that's not usually a granular like you will work backwards and then chip away at it in the other direction for a bit, and finally those will you know create a continuous solution from beginning to end. It's usually far more of a I hate this, I hate this, I hate this. (laughs) I'm the greatest person that has ever lived (laughs) bow down before me. You know? Mm. Yeah, I can see that as well. I I think I prefer that sort of build up towards a solution. I think I tend to lose hope if I feel like, A, it's too hard, and B, that I, my solution is inelegant. No, I feel dumb. I I think I stop at the I'm the worst, I'm the worst, I'm the worst part. (laughs) I think that's why you are better at things like Infinifactory. Because I don't have any time for that. Because you're just like, I will optimize this and I understand all of the rules. So I'm just going to, you know, set up a thing and it will be efficient and cool. Whereas I'm like, oh, this is too, there's too much information. I've got too much stuff to do. I I need to shrink it all back down to, you know, small blocks on mm. the thing. Yeah, I suppose that's, that's right. Yeah, I like procedural 
puzzle solving. I don't mean proceduralizing generation. I mean, as in, it's about creating the procedure by which the puzzle is eventually solved, which in, is very literal in, in, I guess, a lot of the Zactronics games, like Space Chem and Infinity Factory, because they're about building a train track that makes the solution happen. Mm. Um, whereas, yeah, like from playing puzzle games that you you seem to prefer, you, you like the kind of almost like riddles, like there's a there's a solution in here somewhere, but it will come to you all at once rather than being something that you engineer a solution for. Well, also, I think that engineering feels a lot like it's a very different experience to... It, it's the practical implementation of the solution. It, it's not enough that you can see how it would work. Mm. You have to build it. And I don't think I really have any interest in building it. I just want to prove, yeah, I know it. And then it's like if you understand um, a mathematical principle... The uh, I was always really bored by the whole, you know, repetition to make sure it's in your head because hmm. it was always a case of once I once something had twitched in my brain and I could visualize why it worked, then I could do it, and I didn't see any point in going through nine or ten different examples that just did the same thing over and mm. over and over. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that said recently, like, you know, I've, I've made my my very tentative start into writing puzzles for people last couple of weeks because of the stuff I've been doing for Hack Mode, which is all trying to teach people the vocabulary of later more complicated puzzles by giving them a kind of playground in which to, to learn some basic stuff. And I, I realized through doing that that um, I really enjoy, I personally enjoy any puzzle where... Um, where the answer is, is really obvious, but the it is the that feeling of realizing you already had the answer and just needed to deploy it in the right way. Like, so knowing that, you know, that, that so taking the extra logical leap to know that, well, if some logic applies to this particular side of the game, even though no one's told me that it will apply over here, I can try it and see if it works and comes across. And that's super vague, but most of the puzzles that I've been working on for Hackmod are along those lines. It will teach you some logic um, in one context and then just sort of let you come to your own conclusions about how you use that to hack a different computer system. Um, and I really like that kind of that kind of puzzle solving as well, I think, because maybe it again fits into that procedural thing of like I've picked up some of this logic now and it's in my head. So I'll mm. just apply that in every permutation I can in other places. Shall we reiterate what the game was? Hanamura. <laughs> I almost said Hanamura. Hanamura. Where do we find Hanamura. it? Where would I find it? Uh, if I we'll link it in the show notes because it's <laughs> it's not um, I don't think the URL is a snappy one. So I'll just link it in the show oh, okay. notes. But uh, it's worth saying it's also free. Um, it's about 20 levels long, but there's also a sequel called Hanano 2, logically. Um, and the first level of that is impossible. <laughs> so, uh, I started both. Like, I started, I think I tried the second one because the designer himself says, Oh, I recommend Hanano 2 more. And so I tried that and thought, well, this level's impossible. <laughs> and then, uh, so I thought, okay, I will, I'll download the one Alex actually recommended and, uh, play that. And downloaded it and like, well, first of all, this is also impossible, but I know Alex did it, so <laughs> I can bash my head against this for a while. Yeah. You've got some proof. Someone gave you proof yeah, that it was it is you do even though you even though you basically trust the designer that they wouldn't make an absolutely impossible thing, it's different if like a friend has done it, because then you're mm. like, Okay, well it's like not only technically possible, it's also mortally possible. <laughs> I find yeah. that here is a plant monster for you for <laughs> that successful Jesus anecdote. Christ. <laughs> this guy is in inside of a uh, like Venus flytrap type thing, but he just looks terrified. It looks I like this is not his intention. I think he has become the monster. I think he is. 
It's, a science experiment gone wrong. The plant monster used to be an ordinary potted plant. Now things aren't looking so rosy. Nice. <laughs> Are you nice. actually enjoying the puns? There you go. <laughs> it doesn't explain about the man. It explains the origin of the plant part. <laughs> I think the plant talk is, about the man. It used to be a plant, but now it has a man face. And it's slightly upset <laughs> so there about it. was no it. man. Well, <laughs> he's, yeah, he's now like, oh, I didn't want to be a human. I just wanted to be a plant. <laughs> he looks That's more upsetting. than, oh, he looks like, ah, <laughs> it's happening could, to me. I'm in constant pain. Presumably you could swap in a different face because it's Lego, right? That is true. I guess yeah. you could put Marilyn Monroe's face in there. Mm. <laughs> or the double bear, whatever it was called. <laughs> yep. It's terrifying No, creature. it was two single bears. <laughs> they split up. <laughs> 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 that's sad <laughs> I find that thing of puzzle games um, like introducing a mechanic super gently and then being impossible which I yeah I find I always find it a little bit off-putting not just because it's hard but because of the kind of the way it, the, the idea it communicates like it's not like explicitly elitist but I always feel like someone's telling me that I'm too stupid for this game yeah but there is I am but there was actually a, an issue like that that came up where um, one that Alex found incredibly easy that I got totally stuck on um and once I figured it out, uh, I realized there's a red herring in it. There's a part of the puzzle that looks like, oh, you need to use this, but you just don't. You just have to ignore it. Mm. And that's something that I think I don't like. Um, I totally understand puzzle game players who do like that because there's this like battle of wits going on between you and the designer where they're trying to trick you and you're trying to see through their, their ruse. But for me, the thing I, one of the things I really liked about Stephen Sausage Roll, maybe it does trick you later on, but early on, uh, if there's like a weird little bit of land sticking out the side of the thing, you know that's got to be there for a reason. You know that's useful. You know that must be part of the solution. If you have any idea that doesn't involve that, it's wrong. <laughs> you just, you've got to use that bit of land because it wouldn't be there otherwise. Yeah, I find otherwise the, the attitude is kind of like, oh, hey, so you like uh, like pushing blocks into flower pots and make a nice flower? Cool. Name three other albums. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I just, the thing is they are games that are designed for people to really you know sink their teeth into and things right mm. so if they were easy what would be the point of any of it um, so i yeah. mean they're not <laughs> setting out to bully you you should just not i feel bullied by them i think you should not step into their space are you telling me to get good again <laughs> <laughs> well hang on could you pass him the card please <laughs> yes <laughs> no the, oh, the, the clumsy one <laughs> yes he can have that because uh, no, of no, now i am the clumsy man oh, wait, wait, <laughs> i've become wait, less no, clumsy no by you can have the janitor and he can mop up your tears <laughs> i'm both clumsy man and the janitor well yes <laughs> that paper and scissors type oh that clumsy. that's really unfortunate that means that clumsy man is like mm. is is at the mercy of the janitor the janitor looks pleading Mm. He's, hol he's holding one of his hands out with sort of a desperate look in his eyes, like, save me. Mm. Save me from this, mm. from this mop. No, I, was going, I, I was going to say capitalist prison. Um, <laughs> or mop. <laughs> but there are so many easy puzzle games out there. You know, you could just go into the early there, learning recommend center. Recommend me some. <laughs> Name three other albums. <laughs> well, pretty much any. You like Duplo? <laughs> Name three other albums. <laughs> I'm just thinking of like because so many um phone puzzle games just yeah aren't, actually um they don't do you play inverse or invert oh uh i've seen it but i haven't played this it. is mobile only so i won't talk about it at length but it's mm. um you just invert things on a grid via certain rules like invert this whole row or this whole column or invert you only this corner colors to switch and to, yeah you want them all to match up and the weird thing about it is that it just for oh. each format it'll you'll 
play around with it for a bit and you'll solve a, like a puzzle really quickly and then you solve another puzzle a bit slower and then another puzzle and then it just moves on and the whole game just totally changes like it will go to triangles instead of squares mm. and it will go to like a weird hex grid and the rules will change and every time before it gets hard it changes the whole game which yeah. is the polar opposite of, the, of these kinds of puzzle games where the mechanics stay exactly the same and the complexity and the, the level of yeah. um, thinking lateral thinking that you need to apply increases and I like both i think <laughs> i really enjoyed it but i just got through um the whole thing really quickly and just constantly telling me yeah you're great <laughs> you're doing well well done i think i there's no um there's no tension for me in a lot mm. of those and i don't enjoy that feeling because there is a time limited version <laughs> <laughs> i think i i might have played inverted gdc uh i think it was at one of those showcases um but I uh, do you drive? Wait in the game? <laughs> no, I mean in, <laughs> in uh, no. IRL. No, in e- either. Uh, actually. Okay, so um, essentially, when you're sort of uh, when you're in the wrong gear, like if the gear is too high for um, for the bit of road that you're driving on, the car kind of feels slack almost. Like you you aren't connecting with it enough that you could really control it. Mm. Um, and for me, that's puzzle games that are too easy. I really want something that I can latch onto. And hmm. I think it's that thing of some puzzles are going to do that for some people and some just won't. And there'll be, you know, because there are puzzles out there that I can't stand and that are far too... I don't even know whether it's that they're too difficult. I think it's just that they're a way of thinking I don't enjoy or don't easily have at my disposal. And so I just don't fancy spending my leisure time that way. Mm. Um, but How far did you get with Cosmic Express? Um, oh, gosh. I had unlocked a whole bunch of galaxies. There were some puzzles that were still really bothering me and that I would go back to every now right. and again and um, so you, bash my head against. Because but... you unlock new areas by sort of completing certain specific puzzles right mm-hmm. they sort of those are the links to a new galaxy yeah they'll or... link you out and also some puzzles have multiple solutions and depending oh, yeah. on where the final platform for your current solution ends up you can access different yeah, galaxies I got to one of those. or different routes <laughs> off the back of that so there are a few of those um i i think i've got pretty substantially through what's there but i haven't completed it but then again i didn't feel the need to complete. yeah it it sounds like it's a fucking hell of an undertaking to complete it (laughs) there's like a um some kind of extra galaxy that's super super hard of Um, course there is (laughs) and i think my friend kevin was saying like there's a whole bunch of puzzles in it that he still can't do and Mm. he's ridiculously good at these things um yeah, so I, I just have no... I know for sure I'll never, ever complete that game. <laughs> that, that's a load off my mind, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. But with The Witness as well, like, there's... You know, you can complete it or you can finish it. Yeah. And I did want to finish yeah. The Witness, um, and I did. Um, but, I yeah, I skipped all the sound puzzles and I skipped all... I think there's one other section that I didn't do all of. Mm. But that was an interesting sort of mixture because some of the areas would actually teach you in a really flowy kind of leading you by the hand way and others would just be like, 
well, I've done that for like three puzzles. What do you want a medal? Here's a rock hard <laughs> one that your brain just isn't working for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're like, oh. <laughs> so that was kind of an interesting sort of um, mixture. Um, but yeah. But then I'm, I don't know. I've been thinking a lot about puzzle games just because I really like a lot of the ones that seem to have that polarizing (laughs) thing and it it seems to be either that people feel like the game developer is criticizing them if they can't solve it and that's a really interesting thing because i feel like that says so much more about the person and but it then means that you sort of need to be careful how you talk about them because if you are extolling the virtues of something that is really difficult you don't want readers to feel pushed away if they don't get it or you know and it's like it's kind of an interesting one because it feels emotionally loaded because it's a judgment on a very particular kind of ability Mm. to be tested yeah it's not you know it's not my fault i'm an idiot (laughs) you're right to feel sorry for me but in a quiet way (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I well, no, but I mean, it's like that thing where at school, like, I was one of the lucky people that standardized test really well, mm. you know? Mm. But I mean, it's not like that helped me get a massively high paying job or anything, <laughs> is it now? <laughs> so, you You're know. Doing better than clumsy not... guy. Well, you know what I mean, yeah. though. <laughs> and and yeah, you're doing better than janitor. So it's like, well, so I'm, many... I'm better at, I don't know, Stephen's sausage roll than the next person. But I mean, big work. <laughs> they don't pay but... you a lot for that, for me. <laughs> <laughs> but people will still sort of get a bit like, oh, yeah, but you're only saying you like it because it made you feel clever. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, it was <laughs> Yeah, there are lots and lots of different kinds of intelligence. And uh, any given puzzle game only really tests one or two of them. And yeah, I, I also uh did well on like standardized testing and stuff and was good at maths and like in a sort of classroom i was the guy who was like um good at logic and and maths and like advanced logic and things like that which really is exactly what you need for programming and then in the programming world i'm like the slowest stupidest idiot (laughs) like everyone in the world is leagues ahead of me in that exact way (laughs) And uh, so, sort of like, my specialty is is my disadvantage in programming. <laughs> and that was Hanano again. Yes. Hanano. Hanano. I don't know. It's Japanese, so um, <laughs> I'm guessing it's not pronounced like banana. <laughs> I'm just thinking about bananas because I'm holding a monkey. <laughs> You're giving yourself the monkey. Well, I was. I don't think either of you has said anything that's worthy of the monkey. So, <laughs> you know, there get, is wow. still time. I'll be staggered if we get that by the end of the podcast. You're <laughs> not getting the chameleon, I'll tell you that for free. Is that your favourite? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I deserve the chameleon. <laughs> you have to give it away. <laughs> the stakes have become very high for this episode. <laughs> There's the monkey just for for a preview. No, no, no touching. <laughs> I thought I'd earned it already. <laughs> no, that damn. See, it's a sparkly monkey. Mm. She said, covetously clutching it back. <laughs> well, I mean, you have to earn it. <laughs> You're not going to learn anything if you get your monkeys for free. Yeah, exactly. It has to be worth the worth the wait. What have you been playing, Chris? 
I have been playing a lot of Endless Space 2, mm. which is the sequel to Endless Space, but also in many ways a sequel to Endless Legend. These are 4X strategy games by Amplitude, who are now published by Sega. Yeah, that's oh. right. Um, but they, um, they, I think they're Amplitude are originally a bunch of ex Ubisoft Paris right. people. I think they're the people who made Ruse back in the day, which was oh, the yeah. strategy game about ruses and deceptions mm. and sort of faking attacks and things. Um, that's by the bikes that now had a couple of years of being grand strategy developers under the endless series. Um, and I've liked all of their games and I like this one, but with some unfortunately severe caveats. Hmm. Um, so it is a, it's a sci-fi 4X game, as you'd expect. And in fact, it, it fits a lot of the things you'd expect to do in a sci-fi 4X game. The strength of Amplitude's games, um, for me, have always been presentation and the diversity of factions. And I think those yeah. two things are both true. Um, there's a weird... This is arriving in a weird way, in a weird time, because Endless Space, when it came out uh, five years ago now, which is nuts... Um, was so notable for feeling like an extreme. Endless Space One. Oh. Endless Legend was a couple of years ago. Endless. Oh, okay. Endless Space. I thought Endless Space was the only Endless Space. The, well, this is Endless Space Two. Endless Space was their first game, and then. Oh, I thought you said. Oh, okay. They made Endless Space, then they made Endless Legend, and now they're making Endless Space Two, which is coming out this week. So, have you been playing Endless Space or Endless Space? Two? Endless Space Two. Right. Okay. okay. We're up to speed. Yes. No, it's just because I think you didn't say the two at first, and yeah. then I was confused because there were multiple endless spaces, and that feels like, well, I mean, I suppose if the multiple universes theory holds up, but... That's true. <laughs> Isn't there also Endless Dungeon or Dungeon of the Endless? Oh, Dungeon of the yeah, which is also set in the same universe. Mm. Um, so that first game came out, and it felt like a very modern 4X game. and also arrived at a time where I think it's fair to say that the 4X game was in limbo for a while like a lot of other kind of big pc stalwart genres that have had a resurgence in the last couple of years um it's part of that wave but now in the space two arrives at a time when stellaris is out and a few expansions deep and master of orion is out and there's actually quite a few of these games and they're all quite similar like if you weren't super into them enough to be able to really tell the difference you'd be forgiven for thinking of them as variants on, you know, exactly the same theme, the Galsiv thing, um, or the Alpha Centauri thing. And, um, and I think, I think what originally set endless space apart is less pronounced now, if that makes sense, because there's more competition. So that's mm -hmm. the, the interesting thing it's, it's, it's doing, but what still makes it stand out is the, um, art and the sound and, to a greater or lesser extent, the UI design is, is lovely. Like all of it is aesthetically beautiful. Like the, I, I, it's such a pleasant, given that these are, these are games that you, I don't ever really play them in a super hardcore way. Like I'm never there to kind of really break them apart and become a master of beating them the hardest setting. For me, there always been nice ways to spend time making interesting decisions, which is the thing we always come back to that makes a save game fun. Um, you know, they're sort of a pleasant environment to be in where you make sort of a grand plan, you build a thing and then you kind of resolve a victory condition, um, hopefully. And in that regard, it's such such a lovely looking game. Like they do so much beautiful kind of 2D art 
painted sort of painted in this sort of painterly style a lot of which is then animated and i think some of it some of it is actually 3d and then some of it is 2d that they've sort of rigged so that it can animate it even though it was originally like a painting uh, it's hard to it's actually hard to describe in some ways but um yeah it looks great and they've done they've gone the extra mile with a lot of the presentation stuff relative to other 4x games so there are little cutscenes for things like colonizing a new world um which are the same there's there's one for every sort of terrain type but like the first time you you land a colony ship on a like a savannah planet there's a lot of different a lot of different biomes um you have this sort of like slow pan down from the blue sky over a kind of grassy field and there's like a space dodo <laughs> there and it goes bah! and um you see this sort of this, you see this little lights of your ship in the distance kind of like shooting down through the sky and kind of glowing in the atmosphere with this just beautiful sound design like you can hear the engines off in the distance and they sound like they're off in the distance and the sort of swelling synthesizers on the amazing soundtrack to sort of kick in and it'll like bring up the the name of the planet <clears throat> in the bottom corner of the screen so no man's sky style mm. um and it just it's just it's just lovely it feels great it really looks nice um are the dodos real um not, not i mean <laughs> as in like are they participants in the game are they a race no no that's like there, there's like there's a lot of like illustrative fauna on the different biomes but they don't they don't do anything although you can find life forms but so is it just you trying to expand like what is trying to push back well i mean there's there's every other alien race it's, it, okay, it's exactly yeah. like um no i wasn't sure if there were aliens well, you're aliens basically as well. So oh. it's, it's, it's like, um, Civ or, or. What kinds of aliens? So, um, the, and this, so this is the other great thing about it is the factions. So, oh. um, yeah. So you, you are in a, a randomly generated galaxy of a variety of configurations with, um, up to however many other players are in the game, AI controlled or, or human players. And there are eight factions at launch and the, like, I actually haven't played a campaign as humans. Um, who are a kind of like uh, industrialist imperialist force that emphasize industry and um sort of imperialism imperialism <laughs> yeah and and military and specifically military but not you don't have to um imagine that might be interesting it's nice that they're not just default humans that they have a angle and it looks horrible <laughs> to, to live on their planets it's quite warhammer actually it kind of reminded me yeah. of that kind of quite dystopian view of what uh, humans in the future might be like yeah they're kind of monarch um sort of monarchic by default you have to really work hard to get democracy to function with the humans whereas with the other aliens it's a lot easier um the other aliens are but like every other alien race interacts with the game in a, in a very different way so there are there's an alien race called the sophons who are like kind of like greys but they're little dudes in spacesuits with big heads that um are good researchers and one of their special rules is they can see everyone else's tech tree so they can see what's been discovered by other races. Mm. So you kind of, given that one of the victory conditions is sort of racing down the tech trees to get to the kind of the the endless tech at the end, which is the endless being the big precursor race in, in all across all of the different games, that might give you an advantage there or it might give you an advantage when trading for technology and things like that to know what other people have. And then they kind of get sort of more interesting out from there. So there's a race called um, Horatio, which are all clones of one guy called Horatio. <laughs> Um, uh, who is enormously vain because you'd have to be. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler. Um, yeah. Um, there's, there's like a kind of insect cyborg race called the Cravers that want to eat everything. Um, hmm. there's the Alien Avenger card. I'll have the Alien Avenger card. Thanks. 
That feels appropriate. It is appropriate. I'll hold this while I talk about Alien Adventures. Mm. So, um, so I played most of the Sofon campaign, and I played an entire campaign as the Unfallen, who are tree people, um, or treeple, um, or tree ants, um, whose backstory is really nice, and they are they are sentient walking plants, basically that had no reason to even consider leaving their home planet until in their opening cutscene. There's like a space battle between the other factions in their atmosphere. And that just teaches them that they're not alone. And they, um, they don't colonize planets in, in the way that the other races do. They have to, um, they have to like build this network of basically space vines between worlds. They sort of seed worlds and they're all connected in this sort of like metaphysical root network that extends Trees up. do that IRL. They do. They this can is... keep each other alive and feed each other sap. It's Indeed. really Yeah, cute. it's kind of how it works. You kind of, hmm. you put your roots into a different system and then even when they exit oh. hyperspace, like the space-time kind of rips open you just see the sort of network of vines shoot out and like deposit spaceships cool. and things. It's, it's really neat. It's like a support network. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> um, and their, their space. What card do I get for this? <laughs> Hmm. No. You are a clumsy guy now. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I got the clumsy guy. Um, and uh, yeah, and their their ships look like sort of sycamore seeds. They have like these big fans behind them. Okay. Like the design is absolutely gorgeous across the board. Huh. Um, and um, I wanna I wanna a campaign as them by getting like a total peaceful kind of cultural hegemony because i was just the chiller because they're they're pacifists by default and they're the chillest race and just i made allies quite early with both the sofons and horatio actually so and formed a an alliance with them and just started building my root networks in their in their civilizations so i just send my little cedar ships out and start building and when people don't like you that basically an act of aggression Mm. because you can then start to you know subvert their systems uh, when they like you, they like it a lot. <laughs> and one of the problems which I'll get to is that there's, you know, um, it's uh, diplomacy pop-ups. It's pop-ups generally can be a little bit aggressive. But in towards the end of that game, every single turn, I would get a pop-up message from the Sofons saying, oh, hey, you're building some roots, roots in our system. We love them. They're great. <laughs> and they'd say this every single turn. As one by one, I assimilated every single one of their systems <laughs> completely peacefully. Oh, wow. I had so much influence, I could just buy them out as soon as the roots were in place. And I just sort of spread throughout the stars, enforced global peace. And then I left my own alliance so I could win by myself. Um, <laughs> um, could you not have just like used spores? No. Well, that's kind of what the ships are. controlled them. Uh, see, it's all about free will. I kind of, there's actually, and so the other flip side of that is so all the factions. Well, I mean, if you want to play on hard mode, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so the, 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 the flip side of this is that, so every faction the victory conditions are a shared set pretty much, but every faction has its own quest line, which are sort of other objectives that will pull you through the game, maybe encourage you to play a little bit differently. Um, and there, there are the other four factions I haven't mentioned, but like they all engage with the game in quite substantially different ways. It's um, This is its big strength over Stellaris in some ways, because Stellaris lets you create your own alien race to a very granular level of detail. But because it's a system that will also generate alien races and and because it was a system that will generate alien races for you solaris is a more a bigger source of surprise in some ways because you don't really know what you're going to find whereas i'm now three endless legend endless space two campaigns deep so i know who all the races are mm. so when i find them it's like oh it's those guys it's not you know um oh it's you know something i've never seen before but then again the weakness of solaris's system is the differences are never going to be that pronounced because it's a, it's a shared framework 
Yeah. It's like in my last game, I met some parrot people and they were racist. And in, in this game, I've met some slug people and, and they're racist. Like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not whole Stellaris spectrum. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Um, but, the, and, but what, what having these you know, very differentiated races allows them to do is like write them quite deeply. And there's a lot of genuinely very good sci-fi writing in that game as well. Like the kind of philosophical journey that the unfallen go on as they kind of assess their own place in the universe was genuinely interesting to read all the way through to its conclusion. Which ones are they again? The tree people. All right. Because they, they basically, their, their whole philosophy is based on the duality of fire, basically. Because they need fire to live because you have to burn forests to clear. And I you wonder to... why they're called the unfallen rather than the unfelled, you know? Hmm. I don't know. Feels like that's a tree related distinction that would matter to me if i were a tree person <laughs> i do not know okay um if it's felling when you intentionally cut down a tree mm. and if it just falls on its own is that just falling yeah that's true yeah but like surely if it was that they were i, I guess it would be the distinction between whether they were being aggressed on you know or whether mm. they were sort of free to do their own they're not free business then i think they're not they're very anti-war and don't perceive any aggression really like even if you play against them and you declare war on them they they are very cagey about what that even means to them so i think feld wouldn't necessarily mean a lot but are they immortal no not individually right then because then some of them will fall so there yes, won't be the but, they'll, but they'll be fallen not I don't know, Pip. I don't really know the. They'll kind of definitely this... be the fallen. <laughs> yes, but you know, maybe the sometimes fallen that are alive. <laughs> maybe maybe it's a bit like saying the living. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, we're yeah, getting into reasonable. we're getting into far future triple semantics. <laughs> no, I know, but I find it interesting because hmm. people made the decisions to name them. That's true. Is there so? In endless legend, there is um, a race of cool space marine people it's a fantasy game but there's like a race of like they use crossbows but they're wearing space marine armor yeah. and they, they crashed there in a spaceship are they also in ender space yes like kind of a human sort of like there are a few different splinter factions of humans because there are mm. there are minor races as well that you can encounter i think there are two human races in Endus uh legend yeah. actually the, there are so there are minor races that you encounter and they also have brilliant writing there's one that are a a culture of um basically like they did they invented vr before they invented space travel so they're gamers <laughs> so they didn't go anywhere like, they're completely like they have a they have a um um they have a little trait which is called something like it's called something like gamer culture or whatever oh, God. but it makes them basically immune to the political consequences of anything because they ignore it <laughs> which is actually quite a nice bit of like uh, what it really helped me in um in my playthrough because i assimilated them into the into the tree person empire and I gained their like immunity to politics, which is actually really, yeah. Well, but, you know, but <laughs> you taught was, me so much about how to ignore what's going on. In my but world. what was apathy to them made me less vulnerable to other races using political censure against my galactic peace project. If that makes sense, because I was extremely <laughs> political and I was just literally putting tendrils everywhere and making making wars stop. Like the alliance I formed in that playthrough carved the galaxy in half, and it was five races total. So the two belligerent races. On the, was trapped on either side of just a wall of hmm. peace, basically, that they couldn't get across until they couldn't do anything and they couldn't expand anymore. And we won, or I won eventually. And that was kind of cool. Sounds like you caused the galaxy to come to a juddering halt. Yeah, but the thing you halted was war. I don't know, it's tree logic. But everything's covered in trees. Lovely I mean, I trees. don't know why I'm complaining about this, because I love that, <laughs> but... Space trees as well. Yeah. 
Hmm. Um, Not sure how I feel. But yeah, so yes. actually in that playthrough, I found the planet from Endless Legend. Oh, it well. It can spawn <laughs> in the game. And so normally... Uh, normally Auriga. Auriga, yeah. So normally planets have, um, like, a lot of it's obviously randomly generated. Um, and you have, like, you know, it'll be like... I don't know, Virgo 1, Virgo 2, Virgo 3, but it will also spawn unique planets. So each, each, um, faction has a specific home world that will be in the system you start in. Auriga is one of the unique ones and you find it and it's, it's like going through an ice age. So it's sort of like, you know, it's been thousands of years since the events of Ender's Legend, but you can, it's like has huge scientific potential. And yeah. if you get the right technology, you can investigate more about it. Um, so it's obviously Koi, it doesn't commit to any particular outcome of that game, but it's kind of, it's a neat little, easter egg mm. really um the um uh, so this is all the good and then so to get through wait wait have a tree thanks oh wow <laughs> really do you have a card for everything there you go yeah. trees might be the most fashionable plants in the world i agree in the mm. galaxy mm. um so the that's all good the downside of its presentation actually is to some extent it's ui because the ui is beautiful the all of the games are it, but i think with Endless Legend, they hit a point of usability and how nice it looked that was, like, in a really good place. Whereas in this, I feel like I kind of abandoned my first campaign after 100 turns because I had missed so much vital information that I was so <laughs> desperately behind that it was a write-off. And I can't imagine... There's a tutorial system, but I can't imagine you will ever learn enough on your first go to have a viable first go. Huh. And it's because... What it does is it almost looks like it's been designed for a touch device. And there's so many things about the interface that are really nice. Like your ability, your ability to kind of seamlessly zoom between different context views of stuff. So you can basically control the entire game just with a mouse. Um, it's really nice. And it looks great, but it relies heavily on like shorthand and symbols to express information. And I mean, unless you do loads of the reading or like you really commit to like learning everything slowly in before you press the next turn button. There's so much stuff it doesn't really explain that as soon as you understand it, makes its expression of information very elegant because it's like, well, I know how to read these hieroglyphics now, <laughs> so I know what it's saying. But until you're conversant with it, it's extremely confusing, which is sort of this weird, like, whereas most games will just abbreviate stuff to English words. What uh, state is it in? Is it out? access? That's a completely finished. Out. Yeah. Uh, as of when people are listening to this, it's out. out. So that's, and this brings me on to, yeah, like. So it's not like that. They're about to add a tutorial or something. No, it's been in LX. It has a tutorial. And admittedly, you can put the tutorial on a mega beginner, explain everything to me. But even then, the stuff that, like, it's one of those things where, like, midway through my second campaign, I realized that I'm really comfortable with it now. But there's a lot of stuff at the start. Like, for example, um, every star system will have some dots above it. If the dots are empty, that indicates a planet you can't colonize. If the dots are full, it indicates a planet you can colonize. If And if any of those dots have like a kind of animated ring around them, then it indicates a, a something you can send an exploration ship to go and scan. And when you first, when you're used to that, at a glance, that's a very efficient way of telling you that. When you don't know what that is, you have to drill down into the menu for that, look at those things. And it's only by chance, basically, that you will figure out that's what those things mean. Right. And it's kind of like that with everything from resource types to approval to... This reminds me of uh, Race for the Galaxy, which mm. a board game that has... Um, where you have, you know, planets and, and things that you're trying to colonize. And it's got this really log strictly logical system for how everything's represented by icons. And it can represent almost anything, really, with just, like, a circle and... 
what the circle's filled with and what color the outline is and what the number mm. is in the middle. Uh, it all means something, but it gets to a kind of, uh, the number wang event horizon. <laughs> where yeah. It's like, there's so much information packed with this one glyph. that's like, I had one that's like, it's got two brown outlines and a red question mark in the middle. And then there's like a star around it. And it's like, this is just like the fox head flashing in the brass eye graph. <laughs> like it's yeah. just, what the fuck does any of this mean now? <laughs> yeah. I think it's, it's gone too far. It's because as well, because it's a game with like the currency cat. Yeah. It's a game with a million different kinds of numbers to keep track of because it's a 4X game. So you have population, you have approval, you have uh, influence, you have uh lots of different types of basic resources and you have luxury resources and like eventually you run out of easy shorthand for these things so approval is a thumbs up influence a pink thumbs up influence is a purple star and those two things are completely different <laughs> in how they affect the game why you would want either of them and what what the, the lacking either of them represents for you and when you know it fine i know the difference between a purple star and a pink thumbs up when you start and you're like, oh, this building gives me what I want to solve the fact. I want, I want more galactic. I want more, be able to put more diplomatic pressure on people. Um, this building has loads of thumbs up. I'll build this. And you realize that's the wrong thing. And you've spent yeah. eight times building the wrong thing. That's, that's what I'm talking about. You have that awkward trial and error thing of just wasting time and realizing yeah. you're too far behind. And this is, I always feel like there's a lot of fat to be kind of cut in Forex games where like, happiness is different to influence is different to population growth is different to food is different to and it's like all those things are kind of just like yeah. your empire functioning well this has population and manpower oh god <laughs> which are very important different concepts so a unit of population may, might have a bearing in the production of food and a percentage of your food will become manpower and manpower is divided into planetary manpower and fleet manpower planetary manpower is divided into three different kinds of military manpower <laughs> no. whereas in, this sounds boring. <laughs> it's great. It's really good. But it sounds um, like work. It, it sounds like having a job. It's like happy space work. But um so but to to Aww. and so when you first Endless space happy work. Indeed. And so when you start playing and think there's this big thing and then when you I definitely had like a a really nice honeymoon period with it where I understood what it was doing and then I could appreciate the things it does very well. And actually it wasn't until my third campaign where I decided to play as some space assholes called the Vodjani, who were basically like a race that were awful and almost blew up their own planet until they found some technology that allowed them to basically melt themselves into golden light and feed themselves into ancient <laughs> spacesuits. Oh, and they shit. live like this now. And now they're hyper-religious. <laughs> well, let's do this. <laughs> yeah. They're like evil quarians. They like live in their spacesuits and now they float around in big arc ships, just draining other people's planets and turning cool. people into goo. It's, um, I decided to play as them and go kind of quite military and quite militaristic just to kind of test that stuff out. And so the other thing, after having banging on about how, how nice it looks, the other thing I would say that sets this apart from its competition at the moment is how good its combat system is. Um, I've never really clicked with like 4X combat in the way that I've been interested. Yeah, it's rarely been done well. <laughs> yeah. Like in a way that I won't just build the biggest stack of things I can find and then, you know, roll over people rather than have to really deal yeah. with it. Um. I, in know, endless legend the auto resolve was better than me at the tactical <laughs> combat so i would just always auto resolve. I, I found myself somewhere in the middle with this but um but i'll give you the example so the way it works and it's going to sound very complicated but it's not really and actually when, when you first start looking at it because of the gorgeous interface it doesn't actually tell you anything it's really confusing when you start looking basically when you get into combat you have you have your stack of ships and they have their stack of ships and then you divide those stacks of ships into flotillas up to three so like three groups basically 
um well the and the number of groups you have in combat is based on how many ships you have and how many ships you have is based on like your command rating which is like a thing you research so if you're not very good at combat you'll have smaller smaller groups and therefore you'll never really get access to multiple flotillas which is where it comes alive mm. when you commit to it you can have up to three and then before combat begins you can assess um, the strengths and weaknesses of both fleets and so that'll include things like the effective range of their guns. Some ships will have guns that are quite good at every range. Some ships will be amazing at short range and not even be able to do any damage at all at medium or long range. You have artillery and things like that. And that's all based on the kind of weapons you choose to put on your ship designs. Hmm. Um, you build what your ships are going to be. You, the, every faction has its defaults, but you customize them, you unlock new upgrades, you bolt new things on. Um, and then you each pick you have then you uh, you you have at, at any given time like a hand of cards which are your potential battle strategies and you have to un you have to unlock them uh, or find them or get them through quests and then choose your hand of cards in a kind of strategic menu that you can't access when a battle starts so you plan in advance for the kind of what kind of strategies you want to be able to pick from and these um each have like a top level effect on the game like um take less projectile damage or take less energy damage or do more damage at long range but the other thing they do is they they dictate the course that each of your three flotillas will have because each flotilla is best thought of having a lane that it will fly through in space <laughs> um and so like to give you the example the one i really really like um is um I think it's called something like um, barrage strategy or something like that. And two of your flotillas will plot a long range course and basically avoid the enemy. And one of them will fly straight at them, but try and keep medium range. And you basically invisibly pick your card and then assign your ships to one of the three lanes as fits their particular strengths. And then the enemy invisibly picks their card. And then when you go to watch the battle, which plays out in 3D and looks great, actually um it will figure out the courses each ship takes based on the way those two cards interact <laughs> which again this sounds mega complicated but yep. it's actually super <laughs> elegant because what it means is that like you can get caught out if you you know if they pick the right card into your long range strategy maybe your long range strategy doesn't quite work because they leave hyperspace right on top of you but it's like a really efficient form of dota yeah it's not miles off i mean there's there's a uh, and like the hopefully it doesn't sound mega complicated because it it's just i think it's not mega complicated it's just quite original like i can't really yeah it sounds game. it doesn't sound too complicated to play it sounds really complicated for them to make yeah <laughs> it sounds like it was hard to design because it's really good and like so the best and so the best example of this i can i can explain explain why it's good is um there's that frustrating thing in 4x games where you lose a combat encounter and you feel like the only way to win it is to come back with more stuff and that means that you're probably best off loading a save because you no longer have some stuff because yeah. you lost a combat encounter. Um, whereas actually in this, I found that you can do that. Obviously, save scumming is just a thing. But I find I have never really had to because you don't need as much stuff to win if you have the right strategy. So I got my first real drag out fight with a, an alien faction who were had geared all of their ships for like mega close range combat. And mine were all average. And I was so used to just, at that point, I was still quite new to the combat system. And I was used to just picking a defensive type based on what kind of damage I was going to take. So these guys were all projectile damage. I'm going to use the 
projectile damage defense one, right? Dead simple. Apart from the fact that that is also the super close range combat one, which pushes all your flotillas right forward. If you want that bonus, you also have to engage at super close range, right. where those guys were mega, mega, mega powerful, and I just got destroyed. <laughs> so what I did is I went back to the drawing board and I redesigned. I only had two types of combat ships at the time. I had like a tank, you know, like a defender and an attacker. And I re- redesigned all of my attackers into snipers, basically, like gave them long range laser weapons that were super effective at long range and then kind of rubbish everywhere else. And then I turned all of my defenders into mega, mega tanks, but with super short range weapons themselves. And then I went back with a different tactic card that I'd unlocked that allowed me to put all of my, I put all my defenders together in the center lane where they would engage a close range on a tactic that would also push the center lane closer to the enemy and split my like snipers on the other sides at long range. And then the way the different strategies worked out, um, I lost the, the tanky ships in the middle because I basically fed them to the enemy and it pulled their lanes in, but they couldn't even hit the snipers at the side that then sort of flanked around them with a, with a force of about the same size ended up winning a decisive victory the other way just by adapting. And so, and I started crushing that opposing force with that strategy through like three systems of, of progress. And then they adapted all their ships to cope with it. <laughs> so they started to spec basically for long range. And I had to adapt mine as well. How long does it take for one of these battles to play out? So you can auto resolve it oh. because like the, the result is calculated as soon as the two forces okay, so meet. It's the same. Yeah. You, you set the strategy and then it plays out. If you watch it, it takes like a minute, two minutes. Right. Cause also the, the lines are finite. It's like a route. So if, if you go through the entire battle and the ships get to the end, then it, the victor's based on who's lost the most by that point. So there's no functional difference between auto-resolve and not auto-resolve, right? Um, I mean, you pick your strategy either way. Yes. Yeah, so, you, so you can, there's, there's like two levels of it. There's a super basic level as well where you don't go into the deep strategy menu. You oh, just right. pick a general strategy. Like, so you can basically either just, you can just pick a strategy and press go if you're confident you're going to win. Or you can drill down and that's where you can like assign specific ships to specific lanes and go a bit deeper and look at their composition. Yeah. So there's the, I'm definitely going to win this. And then there's the, I need to think about this. And then watching the battle is optional, but yeah. beautifully presented as you'd expect. Like it looks great. Um, but that I, sounds good. Cause I, the thing I always, I don't like it when games are like, if you play this out manually, you can probably do better. Um, but it just takes a long time to do that. Yeah. Uh, like what they want, the, the, the system they're usually going for is like, if you play it out manually, you might do better through tactical genius and come up with some amazing ploy. Um, otherwise auto resolve, but in practice, it's like, I know I can do better. It's just going to take me a really long time to do this. And I just, on the strategy map, there's a lot of fights happening. I can't afford to spend this much of my life playing them all out. Yeah. I found that, um, I found that actually watching the battles is partly like i've got a new unit and i want to see what it looks like yeah like i've just not the massive battle cruise and i just want to see that thing fire at something but the other part of it is actually sometimes it helps you understand why things aren't working to watch mm. why ships target prioritize the ones that they do and so on but, but it sounds like once you figured out that strategy against that opponent uh then you probably just auto resolve. Yeah, until suddenly until you lose. Maybe, yeah, and then you can actually watch them after you've auto resolved them. <laughs> right. So you can go and go, oh shit, what the fuck happened? <laughs> and then it's like you realize they've changed their ships, and that's you know that stuff is genuinely really good. I think that's a really strong, yeah, uh, thing for the game. There's one really annoying bug with it, which is um, which is really funny, and you can see exactly how it's happened. I get onto funny bugs, but you can see exactly how it's happened. But it's the thing that the launch game shouldn't have, right? This is definitely something that should have been caught in early access. So if you, uh, like I, so like I said, 
the the army sizes are limited by your command value, but there's no stopping you having multiple armies. So if I invade a system and I have a big command value, so I have 10 ships or something, and they have, or like, you know, six, and they have a, a low command value, so they have two stacks of four ships, which is a thing that will happen quite often, um, you have to fight them one at a time, and you have to fight the strongest first, which is just a rule, and it's to allow big big fleets to guard little fleets, basically. Um, so, um, but often when you, if you go into a hostile territory, they'll attack you in defense. So they'll, they'll, you know, they'll trigger the fight against you. And then based on the outcome of the first fight, they'll trigger the second fight if you're still there. So after you, as soon as you click go on the first battle, the game knows if the second battle is going to happen. If that makes sense. Yeah. Because it knows the outcome of the second one. Yeah. Because it knows the outcome of the first one already. Even if, even if you choose to watch it, the game already knows yeah. how much you've lost and whether you've won and therefore whether the second fleet will attack you. So as the, as the, the watch battle begins during the kind of dramatic intro as the ships are leaving hyperspace for the first battle, it will do a huge pop up for the second battle. It <laughs> takes over the entire screen, um, to tell you that you've got another battle to deal with, even though that hasn't happened yet because the game has gone like, Oh, it's combat time. And that will tell you basically the outcome of the first battle because you'll notice some of your yeah. ships are missing. Because it's going with future information, <laughs> and it's super weird. But that that happened a lot until like, and I was really confused by it because also it looks like you're facing the same. It's like has it done the pop up for the same battle twice? You realize like no, it's done the pop up for the battle that's about to happen, <laughs> but too early. I, this is a thing I have with XCOM where I move my units ahead a little bit, and it like goes into cinematic cam. And I'm like, oh, what the fuck? <laughs> Because it knows they're going to reveal some enemy and only does the cinematic cam if it knows that. And so before it happens, you're like, oh shit, I've blown it. Yeah, it's, um, and so there's, there's a few too many rough edges like that and like little UI things that don't quite work right. And then, and I was, but I was ready to kind of like be pretty positive about it overall until I got my first actual like game breaking fuck up quite deep into a campaign where, um, like I said, the, the diplomacy barks are quite aggressive. Like people like tell you stuff about mm. how they feel about you quite a lot, but it never, it just struck me as kind of a bit over aggressive, not broken until I declared war on the tree people while I was playing as the, the bad spacesuit men. <laughs> um, and they were allies with the humans. And so the humans declared war on me on that point as well ish. Like they sort of, you know, said aggressive things. And after I'd won a big battle against the tree people, I noticed that there was a human explorer ship in the same system. So I just attacked that as well. Might as well clear it up. The huge fleet destroyed it. Didn't need to play the battle, just auto resolve gone. At which point I get the declaration of war message from the humans again. So it pops up and this big, you know, man who looks like Sean Connery and Hunt for Red October, the human <laughs> emperor goes, you're a sly one, aren't you? And I, I, he would go to say something else about declaring war, but I just closed it. Cause like, yes, yes, I am. Yeah. Okay, cool. And then like a second later, it pops up again and it goes, you're a sly one, aren't you? And then I close it and it pops up again. You're a sly one, aren't you? And it's, you're a sly one, aren't you? You're a sly one, aren't you? And he just won't stop declaring war like over and over <laughs> and over again. And you're a sly one. And I'm like, okay. So I end turn thinking that maybe we just got stuck on this particular turn. And you know, it does the sidebar. 4x game thing of like here are your notifications and a diplomatic message is one of them and i have one diplomatic message i click on it, it's like you're a sly one aren't you <laughs> and as soon as i close it it comes back down the side oh, of the page again, it's like you're a sly one aren't you and then i noticed that there's a um 
there's a button at the top of the diplomacy window which is like don't auto pop up these like let me check them mm. fine so I, I click that and then i just watch as my entire sidebar which has never had more than like four icons in it at a time just starts filling up <laughs> with the diplomacy message which is like two shaking hands and it's like it just starts like this sliding in one after the other and i click the first one it's like you're a slide one aren't you and i click the second you know and basically that campaign's a bust now because I can't do anything without, I can't, like, if I get another notification, I can see it at the top of the list and I have to climb the ladder <laughs> of this one man going, you're a sly one, aren't you? And Jesus like, Christ. I think the only way out of it is I have to try and ignore my notifications, get all my fleets together, destroy humanity <laughs> to shut that guy the fuck up and then hope I can get the campaign back on track. Cause I was really enjoying it, but that's the kind of thing that's like, I don't know. So it's so unfortunate because stuff like that, like, you know, there are definitely design level things. Like, I mean, I, I won't, I won't bang on about like mid to late game slumps in these games, but it has a lot of the same problems as other games in its genre, I think. But stuff like that is, uh, it, it's, it's tough because all of these games seem to really come alive after their first big expansion. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like that weird life cycle of a 4X game where you, it comes out and you're like, yeah, it's pretty good. You know, I like the things it's doing differently. And then when it gets its first big patch or its first big expansion is when you go like, oh, but now they've fixed that thing that was really wrong with the, the first yeah. one. And given that Stellaris just got, I think it's the second expansion and it's sort of much further along that road and also getting cheaper <laughs> because these are also, you know, aggressively steam sailed quite frequently and things like that. It's a weird place for that genre to be in where I think possibly the worst time to buy any of them. I mean, it's true for a lot of different types of games, but specifically 4X games. Like they're the perfect games to buy 18 months after they've come out yeah. and they've had a couple of big expansions. All of the problems everyone hated at launch have been fixed and they're a tenor. Well, to condense it into a single sentence, it's like four X games are better when they're five X and the other X being the expansion. <laughs> yeah, right? indeed. Yeah. <laughs> that's a very, that's very pithy. I might steal that. One of the X's is already expand. So it's like yeah. <laughs> expand and expansion. Yeah. Like, yeah. So there's lots of things I really like about it. I don't know if I would recommend it, which is a shame to say. Yeah. I, weirdly, my problem with, with Stellaris, and I think it applies to Ender Space 2 as well. Um, it's an incredibly sort of trivial thing, but the thing, I really like that Galsiv 2 is basically like Civ in that it's just a map of like contiguous space. And the thing I didn't like about Stellaris was it's just a series of gravity wells, basically like each... Or I think it's a, each star is its own like node, and mm. then that that node is only connected to other nodes by certain lines. And there is like the slow warp speed thing that you can go between um, uh, stars with, but the space in between them is totally dead. Like nothing can happen in that space. It's just all about these nodes essentially. Um, and for me, that kind of takes away the sense of kind of landscape and territory to it, and in a very subtle way. Like it's a really cosmetic point, but um, that's I think. I had a few problems with Solaris, but that's ultimately why it didn't really click with me because I didn't really, never had a sense of place. It was always just a series of nodes. So, Endless Space isn't, is somewhere between the two. Um, so it is a place of nodes <laughs> in that stars are nodes that you are linked to each other. But as you get up the, the research tree, you discover first wormholes, which are basically lines between stars that you didn't know were there. So it unlocks new routes and kind of changes the territory of the map in an interesting way. And if you don't have access to that technology and someone else does, then you can help because they arrive from an angle you didn't think someone could arrive from because you didn't think there was a line there and suddenly mm -hmm. there is for them. Um, there's, and then there's technology that allows you to go slowly between nodes and that functionally and, you know, opens up new routes based on 
I think there's sort of a finite distance you can cover, but if there's somewhere you can stop halfway, you can get across, kind of cut across the understood lines. Um, and then also your exploration ships have these little probes that, are, you know, you have a stock of them, they replenish. And you can either use them to kind of discover things on planets, which is kind of like loot, it's kind of like treasure and sieve. It's kind of like, you know, search a ruin, get a thing kind of thing. Um, or you can just fire them into space and you pick, pick an angle. It's like aiming a skill shot in a, <laughs> in an action game. You just fire them in a direction and they will travel for a certain number of turns at a certain speed and just give you, give you vision of whatever they hit on the way. So you can sometimes discover star systems that way without having actually found the node that links to them. And then if you have the right technology, fly directly to them. So there is, right. there are some ways of cutting across it, but you, you know, it is still gravity wells and nodes and, mm. and stuff. It's quite gamey in, in that way. But yeah, I think it's going to be really good in like six months, <laughs> which is a shame because I, I genuinely think they've, they've gotten, you know, there's loads of stuff to recommend it, but rough at launch, which is a shame. You can have. The Sam card. Sam? Sam enjoys exploring, but would prefer to do it from his chair. He'd rather read a book. Mm, about exploring, you Is see. Is he in a desert with the Eiffel Tower in the background? No, he's, 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 he's bestriding the globe with both the Eiffel Tower and the Parthenon in the background. <laughs> okay, wow. Mm. That's a hell of a view. And a book. I find, I find um, Sam's presumption about his global agency uh, troubling. <laughs> I gave it to you as a burn. Thanks. <laughs> Appreciate that. No worries. Alien Avenger, incidentally, says his fighting style may lack a bit of control, but are you going to tell him with a face like that? Hang on, do you have the face like that, or does he have the face? Like that? <laughs> I don't know. It's not clear. <laughs> You're given your face, and you really want to talk. <laughs> <laughs> it might set wow, up his Lego. fighting. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> His fighting style may lack a bit of control, but at least he's got his shit together. <laughs> he's got a job. <laughs> What's at going on in your life, look huh? Like you. Yeah. Look, he's a professional. He's worked very hard. <laughs> yeah. He knows what he's at. Where he's about. He's there are no such about. words about clumsy guy. No. Or janitor. No. Do you think his name is Guy? I don't know, actually. <laughs> clumsy yeah, guy. Or... Yeah. Clumsy guy. Oh, Guy. Janitor says, Spilt your drink again? Fear not, the janitor is here to save the day and mop up the mess in no time. But that really sits in in contention with how powerfully unhappy he looks. <laughs> mm. It sort of suggests in, there's a yeah, there's a darkness there. Like, oh, spilled your drink again. Don't worry, the janitor is here. Plumber looks. The janitor happier. can't leave. Look, there he is. That's what the um the janitor would look like a, if he was happy with plumbing. His job. A plumbing is a is a pretty well reimbursed trade. Well, he, plumber is scissors type and clumsy guy is paper type. So mm. plumber beats clumsy guy. So actually, janitor is also scissors type. So is janitor also beats clumsy guy? I guess a lot of people beat clumsy guy. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah, clumsy yeah. guy has an atomic weight of one hundred and four. <laughs> so I mean, actually, an alien Avenger is also scissors type. So what I suspect <laughs> is that scissors type is 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 essentially like a sort of degree of working class, <laughs> like. Because I mean, I'll, well, this I'll, is blue collar. Yeah, it's blue collar. Yes. Whereas, like, I mean, clumsy guy is is what paper. Well, hang yeah. on, hang on. So, other scissors type are plumber, which I guess supports your theory. Witch, which uh, uh, maybe plant monster is scissors Flamenco type. <laughs> I suspected he was working class. Welder. Uh, well, I was, I was going to point out that Sam. Rockstar. 
So Sam, who has mm. afforded the luxury of essentially just being defined by his own name and not by a kind of, um, you know, an, a, like an appellation that will, will define his role in a, in, a, in a capitalist society and who enjoys global travel without consequence. Um, he is rock type. Oh, I so see. he actually is, a, he is the oppressor. So he is trendsetter. Exactly. Mm. The bourgeois. It's good to know that Clumsy Guy could beat him up. Yeah, Clumsy Guy. though, Gingerbread Man, by your logic, would be a blue-collar worker. It's a tough job being a Gingerbread Man. He is. He is literally. He is literally. Therefore, he's at a workplace. me, which is really bleak. Oh my God, he's going to dump his own... This is the perfect example. like, I don't know, put your fist in me or something. Fist me. Not me. I mean, obviously, like... Imagine having a mug that said fist me. No, well... <laughs> well, what I was going to say is that the, I mean, what I was going to say is that the, the gingerbread man's labor is explicitly, is explicitly, um, to be consumed. You know, he is, <laughs> yep. he is, he is an object of consumption in a, in a society obsessed with it as, as, as embodied by traveling Sam. A mime is on the similar social echelon as exactly. clumsy guy. A mime is an, ex- uh, is, is a mime and clumsy guy are the mime, same. They're the downtrodden. So hang on, hang on. No, it's, Mermaid, clumsy guy, mime, jewel thief, and there was one. Diner waitress. I think these are people that exist outside so, the system to some extent. I don't know. Oh, and skeleton guy. What type is he? He is paper. a paper. Mm. Uh, maybe maybe the thing that defines the the paper shark types guy is their is rock. Um, um, makes sense. It's an extremely bourgeois profession being a shark. <laughs> I mean, like it's shark Bourgeois. They didn't call him left shark guy. He's also. Got to, he's always closing. The um, I mean, guess what I'm saying is that I mean, I suppose all those paper people exist outside of a system, or they've somehow opted out of a strict, um, you know, libertarian ideology. I don't know where I'm going with this. I'm trying to find some uh, some some. Uh, the bear is Lego type. <laughs> yeah so is the tree but this is the natural world does it say create on the tree yes yeah so i think that's lego type is create and then, yeah yeah i think it means like you can't use this in rock versus a battle you just got to build something yeah mm. exactly this is like, why aren't you doing something with your life <laughs> and what it's trying to communicate to you is that the only way out of a broken system is to create your own alternative to that system rather than try and fight <laughs> out it of lego <laughs> yeah i think you're reading a lot into this well i mean yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah what I'd say is that I personally identify with both Janitor and Alien Avenger, um, who represent the diverse workforces of different of different cultures, but each equally valid. Um, I'm know. with Plant Monster because he's clearly a human in a hat, and his he's been classified as a monster by society. Indeed. Aww. Do you want the wacky witch to keep him company? <laughs> okay. Okay. Just, they're both scissors type, so that yeah, they they can scissor together. They- <laughs> They can, they can go to the work canteen together. Yeah, that's what scissoring means. <laughs> <laughs> I know what scissoring is. What? It's rare that I know a thing that is a sex <laughs> yeah. reference. It is. That is rare. Mm. I'm amazed that it would be children's Lego cards of all things <laughs> to this place. <laughs> yeah. Pip, don't do that gesture. To this low, low place. <laughs> So that's what it looks like, right? <laughs> what is the scissoring? You know? Pippa's doing a gesture with her hands. It's, it's easy to imagine the gesture. I think it's the only gesture you can do to... See? <laughs> Surprisingly succinct. Because <laughs> it works with the rock, paper, scissors it does, iconography yeah. as well. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so does fisting. <laughs> <laughs> Fist, paper, scissors. <laughs> 
Uh, we've ruined really, at least two different things. They then. just need to come up with three elements where, like, they actually do beat each other in a in a circular relationship because uh, paper does not beat rock in any meaningful sense. There's just like cup wrapping around the rock. Okay, well done, but that it still makes doesn't... it into a present. <laughs> it? Is that what makes it defeated? Well, oh no, I'm mean, a present now. Damn it! You contain it. In, in it can get out if it wrapping. wants to. If but a rock it, was sentient and had an impulse method of its own, but it, it could break through the paper. But it doesn't. <laughs> okay, but neither does paper. So, <laughs> I mean, you could team up to go through a window. <laughs> so, I mean, but if you think I don't that, think a paper would even help there. I think the rock no, would do no, that but, all I the mean, work you by could itself. Make it seem like a present had arrived. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want any presents from you. But <laughs> you really don't. Just for um, future reference. The um, because I guess you could say that the. If if the metric of competition, how they were actually fighting each other, which doesn't make a lot of sense anyway, <laughs> was that like they make it render each other ineffective, then you could say that you know a rock does blunt scissors, right? Because it can't cut yep. it, so it goes blunt. Paper does soften a rock, so it's not as useful for hitting things with anymore. Mm. It makes- <laughs> no, no, it if you wrapped a rock in paper and threw it at me, I'd still really be upset. Okay, okay but like, in terms of like maybe a sharp edge or something, you might get in the way of that. I don't know. The thing is, maybe you couldn't start a fire with it. Is no, you could start a fire better actually with paper yeah, on it. But like, maybe- <laughs> Use a rock to sharpen a pair of scissors as well, perhaps. <laughs> yes, you could. Right. The other thing I was going to say is that if you cut paper, rock you've got two pieces of paper. So if you interpret it that way, it's you're multiplied. really, really powerful against rocks. <laughs> you strike me down, I'll become more powerful than you can <laughs> imagine. imagine. I mean, twice as powerful. Exactly. I don't know if you can imagine that, but if you can't, then definitely split into two yeah. smaller Obi Wan Kenobi's. Hang on, have both Which of is you actually got, quite imaginable. Have both of you got a rock and a paper and a scissors? I don't have an. I don't have a paper. I've got, um, I've got scissors. A, a scissors and a create oh and a paper i've got two scissors a rock and a tree okay well tom you can have the shark guy yeah my favorite rock and you need a what a paper (laughs) yeah okay well you can have the mermaid okay the mermaid's biggest wish is to set foot on land one day but something tells us that might be a bit tricky Hmm. see what you did there we could swap places because i'd like to go under the sea hmm hmm there's a whole thing about mermaids swapping places with people. Oh, yeah, I know, but I don't want to marry anyone. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> also, if she um, if she knew anything from her ancestor, then, like, isn't it incredibly painful? It's like stepping on a thousand knives every time every time you take a step. I wonder about that. Jesus. How much more painful would that be than one knife? Well, it would be lots of knives. So more painful. How, how many you knives can you notice? Your foot couldn't cover a thousand knives, though, right? So, but like, oh, it's a flipper, though, isn't it? But I mean, <laughs> <laughs> a flipper changes everything. A flipper could cover like sixty-four knives. But I knives are like it. The the blade of it, right, is really thin. So mm-hmm. you could just like stack a lot of really well, thin razor blades. If you blades put them close enough together, then the it would be like a flat surface, and it would be fine. They'd have to have some kind of separation, otherwise they wouldn't have any cutting action. Interesting. And actually, like the cutting force is. Is it's a factor of pressure, pre- which yeah. is yeah, like no, that's fair. force divided by surface area. So the more surface area you have, the less painful it would be. So maybe it would have been better if they'd said one it was like worst. standing on... Well, not even one knife. It would be like standing on a nail. Yeah. <laughs> one like nail. Standing on one Lego. <laughs> <laughs> the worst thing. Oh, the irony. I want legs and now i got Lego. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know what that was like if you can't see any of these cards. (laughs) I hope it's entertaining. Well, did you say no, Pip? Well, no, I mean, 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I forget. <laughs> I wasn't really listening. <laughs> I don't listen to a lot of what I'm saying after I thought I'd start speaking because I'm already trying to think of either the next thing or I've been distracted by something else. So I just sort of let it play out. <laughs> it doesn't show, Dory. <laughs> Should we do questions? Yes. Shall they come from questions? Inevitably. <laughs> Shall they produce answers? That's the question. The answer? Yes. yes. <laughs> oh, one of you can have the welder for welding questions what kind with is he? answers. He's scissors. Scissors. That's maintaining my, my interpretation of this text. Okay. That is a, a very blue-collar yep. profession. It's, the mean, uh, it's blue scissors, actually. Well, a flamenco <laughs> dancer is also blue scissors. Well, I mean, tourism is a vital part of the Just as economy. Dressing up in a shark suit is a very green rock profession. <laughs> <laughs> also, grandpa is a blue scissor profession. <laughs> he was formerly a provider or producer of some kind. <laughs> Interesting. Anyway, is he specified as a grandpa or is it just old man? It says grandpa. Okay, I'm sorry. What, what What's he got there? What's he holding? Uh, a newspaper. Okay. It's called The Old Times. <laughs> which is kind of on the nose, really, isn't yeah, it? I like yes. it, though. I think, well, <laughs> You've only got a few words to make your point, and I they think, did it. <laughs> I think this is a commentary on how the old and the economically vulnerable receive their news from a diminishing oh, set. So, Lord. Let's do questions for questions. <laughs> um, Barry writes, With Dishonored 2 and Prey both being rad... Are Arcane Studios the best slash most interesting big budget devs now? Question mark. Yeah, quite yeah, possibly. maybe it's it's really rare for like it's really rare for for anyone to do two good games and they've done three. Um, yeah, it's that that's the thing that's becoming. Um, I don't know. We've had a load of breakout hits. We had a load of like individually great games. But it's hard to be, I don't know, as huge a fan as I am of, like, Far Cry Primal. It's hard to be completely behind, <laughs> like, you know, you can't be completely behind Ubisoft because Ubisoft is this, like, multinational conglomerate that makes a million different things in you a million different ways. You can't get behind them physically because they're everywhere <laughs> at all times. Yeah, exactly. The sun never sets on Ubisoft. Um, <laughs> but uh, even just the Far Cry series... Depends where you are in terms of your time zones as you pursue yeah. them around the world. The, I think when they said about the English Empire, they were meaning that at any given time, the sun was shining on some of the English Empire. Oh, okay. So, but yeah, technically you're right. It's always the five sun... o'clock somewhere. <laughs> They're also using an excuse to drink gin. Yeah. It's always five o'clock at Ubisoft, as the saying goes. It's always sunset in the British Empire. Um, uh, yeah, like, they're all... All three of those games are just really well made. And, like, the the measure of success, I think, is when, like, you set out for a particular kind of um, design and you pull it off really well. Whereas there are a lot of games where it's just, like, a big jumble of stuff. Like, if, you know, Far Cry 3, I love the outposts in Far Cry 3. Far Cry 3 is about 10 different games glued together. <laughs> yeah. There's a co-op game, there's a deathmatch game, there's uh, a campaign. Racer, pretty much. A load of it is garbage. <laughs> but the outposts are fucking brilliant. And so I love that game, but I don't really think that the team behind it are um, picking a really single, clear, coherent vision going mm. for it and executing it perfectly. Whereas I do feel like that with Arcane, like they are. 
kudos to Bethesda. I think I said this last week, actually, but I think it, I think it bears repeating that, like, I would also, even though they're very different games, I think, um, machine games, Wolfenstein has that clarity. It has, it knows exactly what it is and executes it to a really high standard. Hmm. Um, so, and, and New Doom as well, actually, which does do a few extra things. That's that mission editor, but it's very focused and a brilliant. Bethesda make some good games themselves. <laughs> they do. Yeah. Although, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I was going to see whether you could accuse Elder Scrolls of being a million different things, but it's not really. It's just a big, big old, yeah. big old thing, but it's a singular it thing. It lets you do a lot of different things, but it, yeah, it does feel cohesive. See that big singular thing? You can go there. <laughs> That's Todd Howard once said. <laughs> Paradox has a thing as well, doesn't it? <laughs> they got a thing. Everyone's well, got I mean, things. you know, they, but, you know, yeah, they have, they a, have, they have a, a, co- a cohesive sort of vision yeah, and they a, do. a I think, stable. I think they make things. some bad stuff, though. I like. I'm not saying it's firsthand. I'm actually saying it's because I think they themselves have said <laughs> we make some bad stuff sometimes. <laughs> um, yeah, they're less consistent, and they've they've done stuff like Magicka, which sits outside of the paradox. Mm. Yeah, milieu. I mean, there's also this whole publisher developer distinction where, like, you know, uh, you know, Paradox published Magicka, but they didn't develop it. Yeah, that's um, true. I think it's more like and same with Bethesda and Doom. And yeah, I guess what I'm saying is Bethesda supported some stuff, and you yeah. know that you know developers don't necessarily get the freedom to just make one thing well in a in a, in a especially in the triple a industry where there's a lot of pressure to be everything yeah every game. i guess that's maybe the interesting thing about arcane is like um is it's unusual that they were allowed to do three immersive sims yeah <laughs> no one has ever made them make a multiplayer mode <laughs> yeah that's i was thinking about that pretty specifically i was just thinking like god can you imagine if they were forced to make a multiplayer version of this? well honestly i would play prop hunt happily with that system <laughs> Like, what about is it Deep Silver or whoever that did Saints Row? Was it Volition? Volition, Volition made yeah. Saints Row. Yeah. yeah, was it so Deep Silver was the publisher? publisher. Yeah. yeah. Um, but like, THQ before THQ yeah. went under. But what else do Volition? They're doing Agents of Mayhem at the moment. Oh, that looked kind of v- like Volition. Like I don't, I wouldn't necessarily put Volition in the category because I think their writing is wonderful mm. and their sense of humor is wonderful. But the games have always been like the best game we can make, but it's not standout okay, amazing. Yeah, it's like it's you know the Saints Row games would be totally forgettable if they weren't so well written. Yeah, okay, make a very interesting contrast. I think to Square Enix, um, Montreal. Uh, or just the Dare Section Revolution team. Um, yeah. Because uh, Square Enix Montreal, I think, is multiple different teams to work on different things. But um, Human Revolution, I absolutely love. And Mankind Divided, I just like a lot. And it's better in some ways, but it's worse in a lot of other ways. And it really, like, failed to do the job of a sequel, which I think is to, you know, carry across the things that were good and improve on them and fix the mistakes and stuff. Didn't feel like it fixed the mistakes, really. It just felt like it... it meandered a bit and mm. uh, definitely dropped the wall on plot and had some good mechanics and some not so great ones w- and when you like came out around the same time to Dishonored 2 and that was such a stark contrast of like Dishonored 2 feels like it learned everything there was to learn about Dishonored 1 and improved on all the things that were good about it and fixed a whole load of its problems and just you know did incredible things that Dishonored 1 didn't do and so Arcane really stand out as like people who know what they're doing yeah <laughs> and it's incredible like you know the Dishonored 1 team as far as I know, like the Dishonored One team sort of split in two and mm. and became the prey and Dishonored Two teams, and so it's amazing that both those games are good. <laughs> like that's really improbable. Yeah, yeah. I know their future is kind of in doubt, but like IO Interactive looked like they were doing cool things, mm. especially with like the Hitman. Yeah, 
That was after a couple of years of getting hit run really badly wrong. Yeah, they're a strange studio because they sort of they Blood Money was I think uh, one of uh, at the time like one of the first games for me that that was like oh shit this is a developer who really knows what their last games are about like they had meandered a little bit Hitman Two was like had a huge amount of potential but there was loads of fuck ups Hitman One obviously had loads of fuck ups and then Hitman Three it wasn't really clear if they really knew what was good about the thing and then Hitman Blood Money was suddenly like oh my god they just got it it just clicked and they know what's good about it and they scrapped all the stuff that didn't work and they they went to town on all the stuff that did work and then Absolution was like what <laughs> I thought you understood this and then yeah the new Hitman feels like have returned to that um to Blood Money mm. so I think their history is a lot more checkered than I think it's more that I think the person had said you know are they the best AAA right now and I was just thinking that, you know, not necessarily in the past, but like with things like the first season of Hitman, I I was impressed with what I'd seen and yeah. Yeah. with all of the stuff that was think... happening there and, and with, um, yeah, just, uh, it, it's that thing of, I think it's while a studio still has an identity really, isn't mm. it? Otherwise it becomes sort of not sold for parts exactly but um the identity gets pulled in a lot of weird directions with just look you've got the right resources for this particular task so just make this bit of the game or yeah, yeah. lend us your expertise for this thing and it ends up as this strange patchwork that doesn't quite have a sense of a specific thing because it's come from so many different pens i suspect there's a, a parallel universe where arcane's moment didn't arrive in the way that it has like for whatever reason a whole bunch of different publishers have put money behind slightly more ambitious systems driven single player games possibly due to the success of bioshock maybe like you know yeah. whatever kind of influenced influenced that um because arcane haven't really only ever made these games like arx fatalis is a mm. innovative first person rpg it's really weird and there's loads of things wrong with it but it's it's all about you know systemic freedom in first person and mm. exploring a big complicated space uh, Dark Messiah is yeah. It's not a it's not a immersive sim in quite the same way, but it's a, f- a brilliant sort of free form combat game. Which yeah, also very is. very systemsy. You know, you can put ice on anything, and ice behaves in a consistent way, and that yeah. lets you set up elaborate things. And... Yeah, it's still a wonderful game. Um, th- you know, so this is what they do, and it feels like the world's come around to them rather than the other way around. But yeah. like, yeah. So when you were reading the question out initially, I was sort of wondering whether it was more they are having an amazing moment. And obviously that's built on a lot of hard work and expertise, but um, you sort of wonder whether if they just keep doing this stuff well, that sort of sheen might dim as people sort of go, okay, well, we've seen that a lot. So when we want these kinds of games, we'll come to you, but someone else will have their moment and Mm. that will just sort of, it's the nature of appeal and novelty and, tastes changing over time Mm. john roberts but not that john roberts writes question best boss intro in a game his is undertales asgore i really liked the thing borderlands did with bosses where each one gets their own like title card they Mm. they all do have an intro and you get a little bit of their character from that i don't know if i have a favorite of those but Titanfall 2 also does that weirdly. 
Hmm. Oh yeah, I, that. That. yeah. I think it ended up just being a really popular. Yeah, the crash zoom thing. onto person. Yeah, I, like, and I think was Borderlands the first one to do it because I, I think it was well, the first time I'd seen it. But I mean, even back in, uh, you know, like nineteen ninety-seven, eight for Ocarina of Time, it was. Oh yeah, they did like, a crash zoom. Yeah, yeah, there would be that, and that you know it would actually have like the name of the you know the full name of the hmm. boss on hmm. the bottom of the screen, and it would There's... get its own like little cinematic. Interview. Actually, I was watching um, uh, a Christopher Rods playthrough of Prey, and he has subtitles on, which I did not. And you know how all the aliens in Prey have like question marks as their name, uh, and then you, like eventually you get the ability to to figure out what they are. Um, but for most of the game, like uh, most of the early section, is they're all just mysteries. Like, what the fuck is any of this? If you have subtitles on, it just puts their full, exact, real name in front of all their dialogue. <laughs> and I didn't know, even though they had dialogue, to me it just sounds like alien warbles. But they're actually saying stuff. It's kind of like human dialogue that's been processed in some way, oh. and so. Even there's an enemy that's kind of invisible and it just outright says what the enemy is and <laughs> says what it's saying if you have something else on. How weird. Um, or not weird, but... In terms weird. of, like, spectacular intros, there's just a million examples from the Soul series that are all great. Um, Gaping Dragon in Dark Souls 1 is probably the first time you see something really, really huge in that game that's genuinely terrifying. However... My nomination for this is the entire intro sequence thing for the final boss of Bayonetta, which is another reason to just tell people to go play Bayonetta now that it's on PC, really. I don't want to say anything about it, because I don't want to spoil it, but it is the the perfect ending to a perfect game that only gets more perfect immediately after that. <laughs> it's great. It's really, really good. I like it a lot. Jens writes in with a little challenge. Oh, dear. It's for you, Pip. Oh, no. <laughs> dear Perch and Haypile, your talk about how terrible the most recent Assassin's Creed subtitle is, it's uh, Origins, I almost said it wrong, um, gave me an idea for a sort of litmus test of how unwieldy the series has become. Can you nominate the podcast member with the least familiar familiarity with the Assassin's Creed series... Hola. <laughs> then see if they can attach the correct subtitle and chronology to the following games. Chronology is maybe a little bit harder, but we'll definitely go for subtitle. Oh, God. So, first up, Assassin's Creed Renaissance. Is that really a game? No, as in, he's given them the subtitles of where they're actually set. Right. You have to come up with the actual title of that game. Interesting. So, what is Assassin's Creed Renaissance called? <laughs> yeah, yes, it's Assassin's Creed 2. Yeah. That's correct. Oh, okay, you good. Right. Yeah. No, I, I, I was... Because that's the only one I knew that was set in the Renaissance. <laughs> Assassin's Creed, the American Revolution. Oh, no. Um, I think... The, is this the one that you have played a lot of and I've got super a, into? I, I, this is the first one I didn't like. Uh, capers? <laughs> what? It's not Assassin's Creed. Capers. The answer is. No, 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 wait, wait, wait. Uh. Uh. Freedom. Free bad. Badlands. Outward bound. Homeward bound. Assassin's Creed Homeward Bound. Or as it's also known, Assassin's Creed 3. Oh. I was uh, when you said free. I was trying, like trying to lean you into it. Cause... No. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, I thought they had like subtitles, like Brotherhood or whatever. You know. 
Well, we're getting there. Some of them do. Some I of know them do. that that one's a thing. Assassin's Creed. I don't Creed, know what it is, but. Assassin's Creed Egypt. Oh, God. That's oranges. Oranges. <laughs> or, or, origins. Origins. Uh, oranges. Origins. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. Assassin's Creed Rome. Uh, hang on, is this as distinct from 2? Yes. Because that was set in Rome, wasn't it? No, ish. The ending was. Yeah, because of the Pope. Yes. And he's, that's his, like, that's, that's, that's his, his hood. Dad. Yeah. <laughs> um, the papal hood, as well, it's called. So, yeah, well, you have to have your papal hood. Anyway, um, so, Assassin's Creed, what was the thing? Rome. Rome. Um, uh, Four, one, Caesar. <laughs> uh, Assassin's Creed four, one, Caesar. <laughs> it's a distress call. <laughs> no, it's, it's, a, it's like a like an order, like Assassin's Creed for one, Caesar. No. Um, okay, I'm assuming none of those are correct. Can I take a guess? Yes. Because I don't know this one. Is it Brotherhood? It is Brotherhood. Oh, for fuck's sake. Because I knew that's the that... one after two, and two was in Italy, so. <laughs> Assassin's Creed Pirates. Black flag. Yeah, know that one. Assassin's Creed. I previewed that one. <laughs> Assassin's Creed, the one with four-player co-op. Oh, Assassin's Creed France. Yes, but that's not the name of the game. <laughs> Revolution. No. Resolution. No. <laughs> Liberty. No. <laughs> Freedom. No. Hang on. Hang on. Was any of that close? No, it's it's it's, so, no. it's sort of uh, linguistically. <laughs> le freedom. <laughs> okay, not that close. Paris? No. Oh, hang on. Oh, what other words do they like? They like okay. So we've got brotherhood. We've got squad. <laughs> no. Uh, uh, What's the opposite friends? of game maker? <laughs> oh god no. Oh, no player no as in what's the opposite of the software game maker unity yeah Yay. oh it's assassin- okay i knew you'd understand it if i put it in that way yeah. I knew that's so would- not the opposite <laughs> and, I- and i knew that tom would hate me saying that. <laughs> um you need the hippie who doesn't obviously. even understand bad moods <laughs> oh yeah mm. um mm. i still have them i just don't understand why they're happening to me <laughs> Assassin's Creed Victorian England. I know that one. It's Syndicate. It is. Because I remembered that while I was thinking, hang on, wasn't Brotherhood set in in Victorian <laughs> London? So you got the, you got one there. of them is called Evie and the other one is called like, I don't know, Stuart or something. Jacob. Jacob. Okay. But the, one of them is called Evie, right? Yep. Yeah. Fry. Evie Fry. Yeah. Mm. See? Yeah. I got most of those right. You did. Now, what's the chronology? What was the order? One, two, three, four. No, because it's not going to be, is it? So hang on. There was Assassin's Creed, and I'm assuming Assassin's Creed 2. Yeah. And then probably Assassin's Creed 3. Nope. Oh, okay, fine. (laughs) Um, Assassin's Creed Brotherhood? Yeah. Okay. And then 3. Nope. (gasps) Oh! The one that's not on this list, actually. Oh, is there what one? Was it on? I do remember there being another one. Revelations. What's oh, that? God. This is the third <laughs> Ezio game set in Constantinople. 
Right before, well, what happens in Constantinople for this? Ezio, it's about. It's, I don't know. It's still oh, in Constantinople. It it's, it's the old man Ezio game. It's the, it's Ezio's last one. How many is he in? Three. He has a full trilogy. Oh, but one of them didn't even get called a number. It's, it's two a, of them didn't. Two of them didn't. Oh. So Ezio's trilogy is two Brotherhood Revelations. Right. He's an old man at the end of Revelations, and then he has a like a like is a, that pa- a Revelation. A para- he has a paraglider. <laughs> he, has, he has a paraglider chasing. You're to old. Pack it all in. <laughs> Actually, old Ezio is one of the best characters in the series by Mars. Oh, hang on, why? Because he's just really charming. He's like, because he's sort of mellowed out. Because he's like, he's like the young gun when in in two, and then he's takes on some responsibility in Brotherhood. He's the best thing about that entire series, Ezio. And okay. then in, in Revelations, he's sort of like, kind of like the cool old guy that's kind of been around the world a few times, and is like, there's a really nice bit. And I think I've mentioned this in the podcast before, where he meets because it's assassin's creed his love interest but not in like a serious way but maybe they get together at the end and that's the sort of the the genesis of his family tree for the rest of the series um is literally i think the girl in the pearl earring from the painting (laughs) and he meets her because she runs a bookshop in istanbul or something um i think it's her it's wasn't she dutch yeah i think she was that's the problem with this theory it was someone from (laughs) painting i can't remember who it is but um, quite a Mona Lisa. Yeah. That no, that, that that is already in two, I think. Um, does he also invent coffee in? Or you invent the latte? Yeah, he invents the latte in two. Really? Yes, he yeah. does. Do, what, do, how? Leonardo da Vinci invents coffee, and then you say, "I oh, need some milk. latte." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really good bit. But hang on. So no. the, the, those three. Sure. Leonardo da Vinci is your arms dealer in two. Yeah, oh, he's Q. Like, like so those. Three, I mean, that the, makes sense. Those three. <laughs> those three Renaissance games are. Fantasy adventures of Renaissance James Bond, and they're really good, but okay. the rest of them are rubbish. Um, but yeah, you, you meet this woman, and he has to find like the access to an ancient ruin that's in her basement. So is he Lara Croft? No, he's sort of like just a, a, a kind of a fun he's dad. He's the time police, isn't he? What? I think, but like with um, what's it called? Desmond. You know, Diner Blob or whatever. <laughs> Diner Blob. <laughs> You the know. sinister shadowy corporation diner blob you know the people who talk <laughs> Sent to you someone about back in time dna shit <laughs> the mesh and the like y- yeah you're going abstergo too far out of the thing abstergo you... put you in a, in a machine that uses your dna to take you back to ancestral memories and then you relive the it's such bullshit i actually can't say it exactly <laughs> but like so he's a time cop no right? he's not but he must be, because otherwise, what's man. he doing? Because Ezio's just living his life. But why are they there then? What's he doing? Desmond is he he remembering the Templars. Him. Oh, I don't want to get into this. <laughs> the Ezio games are really good. But what? Right, fine. He's really so charming. Then he does Constantinople in. Then it's Istanbul. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> so then it's three. Yeah. Okay, and then after three. I think it's straight it to four, was... isn't it? There wasn't any no, like... there was Rogue as well. Oh fuck, we forgot Rogue. I mean, I don't know what Rogue, Rogue was. The other was that console only? But... Yeah, it was yeah, last that was like console. Piratey one. Was, I think no, it... it was while Piratey one was doing all of the main traffic, right? It was after yeah. Piratey one. It was. It did have boats, though, right? Yes, it did. It uh, was so yeah, because so it goes Assassin's Creed Four Black Flag, which is doing all the number and the subtitle. Yeah. Right. Um, oh, then, and then it was at the same time as Unity. Yeah, maybe? and then Unity was next gen consoles only, so they put out Rogue on the last gen consoles only. Rogue being the one where you play as a Templar sea captain. Right. Yeah. And then, um, then it was Unity, then Syndicate, and then the grand absence in our lives from this beloved series. 
And then Origins. And then Origins. <laughs> Just because, why not? Yeah. God Almighty. God Almighty. And then Use in the future it will be Assassin's Creed Squad Goals or something. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Assassin's Creed game my, my money's on Rise. They've got to use Rise at some point. It was, it was the subtitle for Assassin's Creed 3, though. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, fucking hell. Like, it was Assassin's Creed 3, Rise. Revelation? That is Re- Assassin's Creed Revelations. Oh, right. <laughs> That's sure. what we were just talking hang about. Hang on, hang on. Revolution. Kind of in... Th- French Revolution. Confabulation. Revengeance. Yeah. <laughs> we've got to do Revengeance <laughs> at some point. Batman Returns. <laughs> Every series must eventually hit its Batman Returns. The Templar Strikes Back. <laughs> oh, God. Assassin's Creed Arkham. See. But then no one will know if it's Batman or Tentacles. What? Oh, yeah, because you... Yes, okay. I, get I didn't know. Yes. Um... We could just list Assassin's Creed games for the rest of the pod. <laughs> I think we might run out eventually. Of listeners. I bet there were mobile games as well. I there bet were. it was like Assassin's yeah. Creed, like prod it with your hand or something. They, but it was because they, they hadn't, they, they really copped onto the new kind of naming scheme for mobile games if you really want them to sell, which what is why it's go. called, it's why it's called Assassin's Creed. <laughs> I don't understand. It's all right. Like Crossy Road. And oh, I see. Oh, well, those are just two games. This isn't a trend at all. <laughs> I think there's a third one somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Flimsy gag was the... Uh, anyway. Um. Assassin's Creed Match 3. Charlie writes... Dear Crate and Crowbar, On the last pod, Tom F. mentioned that there aren't any competitors to Windows. <laughs> Did I? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> that doesn't it, sound I mean, like was, a true thing. I to might say. have been drunk. <laughs> I assume he meant specifically for gaming. I think he's giving you the benefit of the doubt here. Okay, good. Uh, just Sounds here. like what I need. But I think that you might be surprised by how many games now support Linux. And as someone who switched from Windows a few years ago, I can say that it's no longer more complicated or difficult to use than Windows if it ever was. Just wanted to say that your info might be outdated. Try it. <laughs> P.S. I bet Pip's controller will work on Linux. Thanks for Linux, everybody. Charlie. <laughs> oh, wow. well, Getting that point. So, waving that flag yeah, yeah. all the way through. The thing that Linux has got going for it is the Penguin. That's I'm true. I'm just going to put that out there. There is... Uh, my game is on Linux. I'm not surprised by that. <laughs> I knew that. Um, and all of Humble Games be... are on Linux, aren't they? Yeah. So that that's an interesting like market force that has changed, I think, in recent years where... Uh, actually, the reason Gunpoint is on Linux is because it had to be on Linux and Mac for me to have it in a humble bundle, yeah. and they had expressed an interest in having it in a humble bundle. And I was like, "Oh my god, that's going to be amazing! Let's do that." Um, and these days, humble bundles sort of like declined a bit in terms of their uh, overall success, and also they just sort of well, there are so many of them. Aren't there? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to keep that going forever. Um, and the revenue you get from them is really is is comparable to like a mediocre steam sale like a good steam sale would be would be more um and so i think there was a honeymoon period where a lot of developers were were doing like everyone just did linux if you're any developer you do linux and mac because you want to be a humble bundle at some point and so we all did it and that might be we might be seeing a decline in that because now a humble bundle is not a sort of key part of being successful as an indie you don't need to do it um uh so maybe we'll see less support for it like by itself it usually doesn't pay for itself i think mm. well it depends on the scale of the game obviously if, if it's a really big game it will um 
but uh, it's a bunch of support work and it's a bunch of um, efforts that if your game is not a huge success to begin with, it's not, never going to make it a huge success. It's always going to be a, a very small percentage. I've received the mime for this. Maybe it's a sign for me to shut up. No, <laughs> the mime is because it's the only one that is black and white, like the penguin of Linux fame. Uh, okay. And I thought that you might like... I've forgotten the penguin's name. It has a name, doesn't it? Like I think all the Linux distributions are named after a species of penguin. I think Ubuntu is a species but of penguin. No, um, the penguin actually has a name, and it's something like that would feel super obvious. Isn't it Tux? Baz. No, it's... Um, isn't it like... A Scandinavian name doesn't it actually have a, like a um, Linus Linus Torvalds yeah, yeah that's, like his Linus name. The that's the, penguin, that's the right? guy who created Linux but I thought the penguin was also the, the, yeah the penguin. the penguin make Linux the penguin Linus <laughs> is this just a picture of the creator of Linux <laughs> the penguin is a Linusist it's fine <laughs> so I I... are you arguing back that Linux is like ubiquity might be on the decline or I wouldn't say it's an argument um (laughs) uh but uh it was something that just occurred to me recently it was like oh like I remember a time when it seemed like Linux support was just going to increase forever until everything was basically on Linux and Mm. now I don't think that's true I think that that is that is not an endlessly escalating force I think it's more like a thing that happened for a little while and it will be you know there will be people who want to be the sort of game that is on the humble store yeah. and that caters to people who do have those you can be in the humble store without supporting systems. linux it's only if you want to be in the, the major humble bundles and yeah. that you can also be in other humble bundles so you can be in other bundles organized by humble <laughs> that mm. without needing to be on linux and mac it's only the main ones that that require you to do that i also want to stress that i actually would like linux to become uh, a more viable alternative yeah. to windows because i hate windows being the only thing it sucks i think um in my experience on um, Itch.io, uh, various download pages, it seems to be that Windows is the one that you get as the default, and then like the other the other options that you might have aside from that, Mac is the more prevalent, and then it's Linux mm. on certainly on the games that I play. Anyway, it might just be that it self-selects towards just you've made a ridiculous project for a game jam so you you know if you worked on a mac it'll be mac friendly if you worked on a pc it'll be for stuff like that it's these days now it's really easy just to like to export to mac or to export to linux Mm. is is pretty easy and certainly in unity it's a little bit trickier in game maker but game maker does support it now whereas it it didn't in the time of gunpoint Mm. um for but that's like if you're not charging money for it it's trivial <laughs> if you are going to charge money for it you need to kind of check that it works and that that's that's the way the work is it's like uh is qa and when you do test it you're going to find it works on this distribution but not on that distribution and mm. it's gonna have this kind of problem that kind of problem i will say actually linux users um they're very passionate and they're very evangelistic and they will hassle you if you're not on linux but if you are on linux they they're show an unusual amount of uh willingness to try and make it work because it is <laughs> impossible to make a thing work on every single possible distribution of linux because they're also different mm. um it's also you know you, i don't make my games work on every version of windows because i don't test windows 3.1 <laughs> like uh there are limits to every kind of compatibility thing mm. uh but i've um I just have no what I don't think I've ever had a, like an angry Linux user say oh, I tried a game on my particular build and it didn't work like if they know it works on some kind of build they'll figure it out which mm. is nice the penguin is called Tux I discreetly googled oh. it and I was right oh 
Uh, yeah, Linus Torvalds is just a guy who made Linux. Well, I he preferred it when he was a penguin. Um, there's the skier, which you can add to the mime to make a penguin. okay (laughs) what that makes sense chris that makes sense that makes complete sense it's a cold weather thing and a black and white thing therefore penguin i'm afraid the mime is going to smother the skier because the mime is paper type and the skier is rock type oh god suggests he's going to put his gloved hand the bourgeois is also rock push him into the snow until he stops this is a very the mime just wants everyone to be silent all the time and he'll just smother them until they are well, I don't, I'm, not gonna give you, I'm not going to give you the monkey because that's just not relevant to this. And you haven't earned it. <laughs> well, I just, no. I, I, I just am amused at the mime's bizarre lifestyle, which indicates an opting out from the capitalist hierarchy. It puts him above the bourgeois gear. Anyway, um, <laughs> Jim writes, I recently went to a master's defense about a game showing the results of, as in like a, a viva, I imagine. Um, game showing the results of different coastal and ecological management decisions in the Netherlands. It was quite interesting and entertaining, though. Part of that was using the term serious games all the time, presumably so that the audience wouldn't get confused, what they were doing confused with Call of Duty. Basically, it was a management sim that showed the real impacts of various real policy choices visually to give people a better understanding of what would affect what. It got me wondering what other things could be converted into sim form for practical purposes. Obviously, we've already got flight sims and sort of democracy for politics. But can you think, folks, think of any other stuff? A SimCity game that showed things that actual city planners do, perhaps? <clears throat> we'll answer that part first, because the second part of this is a grudge, and that'll bring us into grudges. Does so it... just to be clear, a master's defense is a thing where someone has like a, a project they're doing for their master's, and then they have to defend it? Against yeah, people? you have to do this for master's and PhDs. So people come at you from all angles, and you have to defend them? Yeah, it's like, uh, the it's like a... It's like that bit in the Matrix 2. Like a bow stick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, actually, I'm not, I don't think it's that common for masters, but for PhDs, you have to, you know, verbally defend your argument. Who who attacks it? Uh, anyone. No, it's, it's professors. <laughs> they put it on it's the streets. Yeah. You have to put it up on Twit longer. Defend it against randos. Yeah, you are not allowed to say, don't at me. It's actually the time. 72 hours the time of random defense. the end of your academic career when you must be atted. Maybe you could get like a little like academic AMA, you know? Like yeah. you just post it on the little subreddit and have to be there for an hour and a half yeah. to sort of say. No, oh, it's it's oh, like your oh, peers oh. or your tutors or you know the academics at your university grill you on your subject to make sure you can actually defend it as well as write about it. Mm. There's a sort make of sure like it was you. There's a uh, entrepreneur's tip that goes along the lines of um, if you have an idea you're excited about, then get some of your friends uh, together and tell them about it and ask them to just lay any criticisms they have on you um, and you pick it apart if they can. And you don't have to have an argue, an answer for all their criticisms, but if you're still excited about the idea at the end of that, then you should go ahead with it. And if you're, if mm. they manage to deflate you, then you shouldn't. I think, the, I think a, a PhD is, a Viver is kind of the opposite because you got into the end of like a multi-year project <laughs> and then you find out if you like it or not. Then you find out if you've wasted your life. Hmm... <laughs> mm. I think the thing I always feel like games could simulate that is hard to um, explain is relativity um, mm. and things like time dilation and uh, the twin paradox. And um, there's so the twin paradox is uh, actually not 100% confident I got the name right. <laughs> um, there is a paradox that it's not a paradox, by the way. Um, but it's Einstein's called the paradox. 
often paradox. Possibly. Uh, it's due with relativity, so it's at least tangentially related to Einstein. You, what, you can have the other bear so that you can have <laughs> twins. Okay, thanks. Mm. <laughs> the twin bears. So if one bear <laughs> stays on Earth and one bear takes a fast... Uh, no, sorry, not a fast night ship. A very fast ship. Uh, a ship that goes some percentage of the speed of light, like 50% of the speed of light or something. Uh, you can't go 100% of the speed of light, but you could go a significant percentage of it. And relativistic effects uh actually affect everything all the time but they affect it to such a tiny degree that if you're traveling at you know 500 meters per second uh it doesn't give a shit it's not gonna have any any measurable effect but if you go at like 50 percent the speed of light then time moves slower for you than it does for um uh for the people you left behind and so if you go uh that half the speed of light away and then you come back less time will have passed for you than uh than the person on the planet the paradox is like well how does the universe know which one of you moved and which one of you stayed still because surely uh, you know everything is relative and who knows um which one of you moved and the answer is basically that for you to go away and come back that involves a massive change in velocity like one of those things changed velocity hugely twice <laughs> and the other one did not um and that is absolute like acceleration is an absolute thing like that's um uh undergoing a change in velocity is something that um you experience a force when that happens and it's you know uh, particularly those bodies that's something where it's like it's hard to get your head around but a, a game i feel like could explain it mm. and time dilation is obviously part of that and uh, that's something that i don't really know like there's a game called the slower speed of light which is <coughs> by an academic entity of some kind <laughs> <laughs> i want to say like uh mit or something um uh some students but it I really didn't feel like that succeeded in explaining anything. It was supposed to show you how sort of colors changed if light was going slower. Like it treats you like you're walking at normal walking speed, but it it's set in a, a universe where the speed of light is like 10 times your walking speed or something. So your walking speed is a measurable fraction of the speed of light. Um, and you're supposed to kind of see how wavelengths change of light and stuff. But I didn't really get that from it. It was like, okay, colors change in a weird way when I walk around, but I don't, I can't see the mechanism by which that's happening. And I don't mm. have any better understanding at the end of it than I did at the start. There was a phone app that um, used your accelerometer to work out how much time you that had changed by like how many extra seconds you oh, really? got or something based on those calculations. <laughs> like, I really can't remember the specifics of it, but I had it on my phone and it was like, it was absolute tiny yeah. fractions of fractions I of a second. Yeah, I think if you're like, if you're on a plane and you're going like 700 miles an hour or something yeah. for 24 hours, then that like, you know, maybe a millionth of a second is yeah, different basically. or something. <laughs> I'll see if I can find out what it was. But the thing that I was going to say was that games do simulate some of the things that the person specifically asked about right like the um uh city's skylines you could set it up in particular ways and i think a bunch of the decisions were obviously made for gameplay reasons but they would have been rooted in how actual cities work and traffic flow and you know those kinds of things but also there's a game um that i think has just come out called blockhood and that's about building um, small neighborhood-sized um, 
sustainable ecosystems and so you have these things that you can build up into skyscrapers but you have to make sure that all of the little um interrelation uh of the resources works out in a way that is um that that is harmonious and that balances and that can be sustained but the person who actually made it is a game designer but also an architect and and it is based on ideas that Mm. are being explored for future living and for future um urban design and things like that so there are definitely games out there that are doing those things and also just in the realms of um simulations that people are using for purposes other than entertainment like there's a bunch of stuff that the connect is being used for in terms of um helping people deal with various traumas or uh teaching people how to uh how to interact in particular like loaded situations so um and i don't know how how people would obviously vary in how they apply the definition of game in that but certainly simulations are being used for those uh for those other purposes and then that feeds back into games because once you've developed the algorithms once you've developed those systems and those mechanics you know like they they don't just go away mm. Um, so it's kind of like there's, uh, there's a bunch of stuff. There's obviously the academic side of things. There's the, uh, commercial side of things in terms of research and, you know, um, being able to be better at X thing, you know, and then there's just the, the sheer amount of cash tied up in video game development. Mm. So, yeah, I don't know if that's helpful. I don't think it really answered a question, but. Well, it's just, um, you know, what other things could be simmed and that answers that. Well, I think there's, uh, I think if it can be simmed, people are trying to sim it already. <laughs> mm. Do you know Can't what I mean? Like, I think it's, um, you don't always see them because they're not always very interesting and some of them are hugely niche, but yeah, I think that that is a logical, like, <laughs> mm. Yeah, um, no, yeah. computer modeling is, is just absolutely a thing. It's sort of mm. a game is an appropriate way of interacting with that model in a lot of cases it is or something like a game is or it'll be appropriated into one or Mm. you know yeah i don't know the other half of this is a grudge which brings us to grudges from grudges we have several this week i also have a grudge for the book of grudges jim writes my laptop broke quite recently and as i'm studying in iceland i had to order a new one quick i didn't have much money but still enough to buy one about twice the price of my old one and with several better specs, overall better specs. However, now that I'm using it, I realize that the increased requirements of a more modern copy of Word and a new version of Windows mean that it's even less able to play games than the four-year-old one I bought for the grand sum of £130. I can't even get Spelunky to load on this new machine. Basically, I'd like to lodge a grudge against the steady march of progress. (laughs) Thanks Um, for reading, I think it can go in, but as a grudge against bloatware. Does that seem fair? Because it feels like it's about that word has become overcomplicated. Yeah, of 
the programs that used to be basic but are now just sort of overcomplicated and over mm. i'm amazed that like, i'm amazed that word still exists honestly like use google docs for absolutely everything or mm. open office and open office for everything else yeah mm. libre office which is an open office like thing mm. um you you would hope that word shouldn't really take up any memory if it's not running <laughs> like it will try and run a bunch of bullshit in the background, but you should be able to shut that down You'd think, in some but way. Who knows? But I suppose if you haven't got the hard disk space for for much. I think it's also a problem with games. Like uh, Some games just are, are spectacularly huge. I think I had to virtually clear out all the other games that I had before I got my new hard drive um, when GTA Five. Was yeah, was trying absurd. to turn up in my life, and I was like, "Oh, really? <laughs> Who made you so monstrously <laughs> enormous?" You're saying that Spunky won't even load, which doesn't seem like it'd be anything to do with Word. I feel mm. like there's a bigger problem going on there, <laughs> but I don't know. Maybe it is just that things have sort of. I think maybe because uh, also storage is pretty cheap now that. Maybe people just assume that you will have multiple hard disks or that, you know, because I have a problem with my laptop in that I can't really Mm. have much on there at all. So, but then again, I don't use it as my main gaming. I mean, like, but even, even then, like, Spelunky's what, like 250 meg? Yeah. Like, it's just. Maybe check your your laptop. (laughs) Yeah. That's probably the. Um. I mean, obviously, we can put that in the book of grudges because it. You, Are you said you begrudgingly putting about... something in the book of grudges. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm always happy to have something in there that complains about, you know, Windows products, <laughs> just because it backs up things that have been annoying me for a while. Um, yeah, it's a very safe bet to make a complaint maybe about Windows. I should, maybe I should be more stringent. What do you think? I, what do you think? Grudge I mean, or no grudge? It's not. It's not a real book. Fuck it. Oh, I want it to go in. It's in. It feels like it's a pain. Boom. Scribble. Whatever noise it makes when something goes in the book. Yeah. (laughs) I was mentioning the book closing, but that's actually really unhelpful if you're about to add something. Anyway, um, Duncan writes in with a grudge. Mm -hmm. Now, we did have one really good request for a grudge voice, um, but I don't think it would mean anything to anybody in this room. And it was to do a grudge voice in the style of, I think it's a Scoo's idea, positive it's not, um, to do a, a voice of a one of the random people who speaks to you through a window or a door in Bloodborne. <laughs> I've watched enough of your Bloodborne playthrough to hear one of those. <laughs> yeah. um, but I wonder if I should save that one for a pod that Tom Senior is on, just <laughs> so that someone knows what the hell is going on. Yeah, I think that sounds like a good idea. Mm. Well, actually, yeah, I'm just gonna, well. Plug the Bloodborne thing at the end, but yeah. <laughs> but anyway, Duncan writes with mm-hmm. his own grudge. He writes, Dear X and Ys, I'm not sure if this is a grudge or a question, but I will leave that to the grand grudgess herself to decide. <laughs> Has reality ever ruined a game for you? And yes. if so, <laughs> and if so, <laughs> is it okay to resent reality for doing so? Because last year it did for me when Leicester City won the Premier League as 4,000 to 1 outsiders in what was by all accounts a beautiful footballing fairy tale. 
However, their improbable success has cast a dark shadow over my two-decade-long relationship with the Football Manager series and its predecessors. <laughs> the key to FM's appeal is its veneer of authenticity. Its incredibly complicated databases of players and tactic systems are all about building the fantasy that somehow, if you were given a chance, you too could take Accrington Stanley to the European Cup final. But Leicester, <laughs> having ruined all of that, by pulling off a success so improbable that every one of my fantasy football accomplishments just seem petty in comparison. <laughs> Worse still, they succeeded in a way that is just not possible to replicate in FM simulation, undermining its authenticity. Thanks for answering, everybody. Sorry, I have no idea how to type that the way you say it. Duncan. <laughs> okay, so do you guys remember an advert uh, for something where... It was like a family scene and some kid was saying like, um, I think it was like maybe taunting another member of the family saying you're going to play for Accrington Stanley. And the other kid was like, who are they? And he's like, exactly. No? I don't know. <laughs> this is an advert for something. Maybe a, a listener can write in and tell us what it was for. Because it failed as an advert, because I don't remember what the hell it was trying to sell me. But uh, <laughs> Maybe it was, it was trying a joke. To sell you Accrington Stanley. <laughs> it was a joke based on the fact that Accrington Stanley were nobody and they would never amount to anything. And uh, I don't know how that converted into selling a product, but <laughs> it did in some way. And not being a follower of football in any sense, and certainly not knowing who the hell Accrington Stanley are, uh, I remember having to see this advert like fifteen times before I could pass the language going on in it. Like, what is he saying? What is that? <laughs> What does exactly mean? What is <laughs> who are they? I don't know who they are exactly. Why exactly? What's this exactly? Exactly what? It's uh, like and now seen, I understand it. But <laughs> have you seen that video where um, they speak English as it sounds to foreigners? Hang on, have you oh, yeah, just yeah. understood the advert? No, I understood like oh, okay. years later. <laughs> I thought you meant like that this this not, grudge not tonight, had no. finally unlocked this years long <laughs> puzzle of what they were saying. <laughs> it is the first time I've ever heard Accrington Stanley outside of the context of uh, the advert. Really? Yeah. <laughs> How about you? Sorry, I actually you... thought it might have been made up for the advert. <laughs> <laughs> you were saying, Chris? I can't remember. Oh, okay. Um, well, the thing here though is that it's kind of also a grudge against the way that that. Um, people who market these games are kind of like oh you too could get you know take one of these idiot teams up to the top of the premiership mm. as if you know as if they don't have a chance and it often feels like they don't because some of them are absolutely terrible or you know going through massive lulls or do not have the cash or do not have the resources to get as into debt as one would need to be a thriving <laughs> football club in some kind of air quotes um um, but I, I think, you know, it, it's obviously all hinges. A lot of the marketing strategies for those kinds of sims hinge around, but they won't ever happen in real life, which is kind of interesting because it's almost hopeless, you know? It's like, here is where you will live out the dreams that you can't as a fan of those people in real life. Mm. Um, and then Lester have obviously upset the apple cart by just buggering off up the league you know it's like oh you know it's quite nice up here maybe we'll stay i mean i don't think they have i think that it's kind of not been sustained if memory serves might be completely wrong um but yeah i mean when i was a kid it was like the the top of the league was dominated by uh united um newcastle uh liverpool 
Manchester, uh, oh, what's it called? Arsenal. Mm. Um, you know, and so it was kind of samey, and you could maybe get away with that marketing stuff. I mean, you know, Manchester City were nowhere near anything, and now you know that. Where was I going with this? I don't know. You started talking to Tom and I about football, so we both vanished. You into both it. just started <laughs> staring at me. <laughs> like, but like, the, and like, obviously, I'll, money. I'm going is... to I'm gonna have to cut yeah. out the magic roundabout theme that started audibly playing in this room. <laughs> But anyway, so, I mean, I, yeah, like, I think it's kind of interesting. I think it's a little bit mean to resent Lester for that happening because it was such a good fairy tale. Um, And I do appreciate your point that, you know, it wasn't a conscious thing. It's like, just, oh, for God's sake, you know, I've been one-upped by reality. Mm. But in a way, that's the nicest thing that could have happened because essentially all the marketing was... You know, mm. it's all hopeless. Why don't you come and play our game? And then it's like, wait. I don't, I don't <laughs> wait. think... I, I'm going to pause you there because I don't think the line for football manager has ever been, it's all pointless. Play football manager. I said hopeless. Okay. But... <laughs> all is lost. Enjoy football manager. But, I mean, but that's the the point of it, isn't it? That is where they're heading, ultimately. It's that, oh, look, you support Derby County, they're so dreadful. Why are you even bothering? Why don't why you just alive? no? But like, why don't you try and like rely on our algorithms to get us? <laughs> get why are you alive? Come to our algorithms. Come to the sweet comfort of our. Algorithms. The universe will end in Where a cold and silence beyond reckoning. Football Manager eighteen. Where is Akron Stanley? <laughs> Who are they? You might well ask. <laughs> what i mean they'll just be like oh well you know port vale that you know do do what you will (laughs) (laughs) all All is lost (laughs) port vale do what you will (laughs) that sounds like a great name for a place where you do what you will no these are all marketing gold (laughs) we need graham here as a as a long-term football manager player who would certainly know what people get out of the game (laughs) (laughs) but yeah no i do think that that is incredibly annoying for people who were trying to create those fairy tales for themselves because the game algorithms and the game sort of systems would presumably you know obviously it it works around your skill uh in like knowing what to do with those systems but ultimately it, it would be maybe sort of scuppered in terms of the absolute unexpected happening because mm. you have to govern more of it but then again like maybe maybe that's more like... the experience of being the the manager of leicester but you just be like well i knew that this was going to go a bit better than usual or <laughs> you know um is it yeah. the case that like what happened in real life was that a, a bunch of players who are rated you know with this skill level suddenly exhibited a skill level that was way beyond what they were <laughs> you're saying they smirked <laughs> No, I'm uh, I'm trying to understand, like, I might regret asking, but um, I can't remember trying to understand the why the simulation only... of football manager can't account for this kind of anomaly. Well, because I, um, I only really paid attention to it when it was, like, a thing that people realised was genuinely going to happen. So I don't know, you know, any of the, the build-up. But I, I, I guess what I'm ambling towards is that um game systems have to feel fair yeah but the parts that you are in control of have to feel meaningful to you and like you are actually influencing the decisions 
And so I think in that specific um, environment, you'd lose both the ability to be surprised in a pleasant way by the team because you are presumably having more meaningful input, but also that the algorithms or the systems or whatever it is that's at play um, won't be able to just go massively off-piste and, you know, deliver you maybe a run of amazing victories, but also a run of absolutely horrendous, unfair defeats. Do yeah. you know what I mean? I mean, maybe they they do. This is the point at which Graham would need to, you know, stick his head out of the wardrobe and say, hello, here are all of my opinions. <laughs> He's not in there. Why... He didn't hear that. No one said that. <laughs> <laughs> on why you are entirely wrong. And these are all things that don't happen or do happen. And, and football manager can feel cruel and unusual and punishing. So so maybe I'm completely wrong, but I just as a base level of how games have been for me in that general area, I would think that's maybe why you don't get that feeling. Yeah. I appreciate I wasn't asked for any of this and it was essentially about whether it would go in the book of grudges. It's totally going. Well, he in. actually left it up to you whether it was a question or a grudge. Oh, well, both, it, both. And it's in the book. Excellent. <laughs> Our final grudge comes from Grizzly. Okay. One of those two bears. Uh, this one's written in uh, rather rather in character, so I'm just going to see what happens. Across the Seine crossing, a cry was heard, cascading across the architecture of Paris in a testament to both Dice's excellent sound design and my own rage. <laughs> <laughs> With a feral force, I had rammed my knife into the heart of an American soldier, my anguish only increasing as I saw that he did not understand why he was forced to undergo this punishment, just as I, at the time, did not understand why I needed to inflict it upon him. Next to his lifeless body, still falling to the ground, lay the corpse of my teammate, who had over the course of roughly three minutes utterly refused to give me some ammunition, despite me repeatedly calling for it, using all the measures the UI gave me. Had he chosen to do this, I would have been able to save him and spare my enemy the horror of seeing yourself being stabbed. Battlefield is a game that constantly awards players for team play actions. A trustworthy medic can top the scoreboard by keeping people alive, even when he himself has a kill-death ratio that is below one. <laughs> there are points for healing, giving ammo, spotting, even shooting at people while missing. Yet, there are many people that do not understand these team play features, and Battlefield just makes the assumption that people know how its systems work. Scouts, in particular never use their extensive spotting equipment, and I really would think that their lives would improve immensely if the extensive in-game wall hacks would be explained to them. In Battlefield 1, holding down the space bar while dead skips you to the deployment screen, but it also prevents you from being revived, which the game does not tell you. This leads to people complaining that they aren't being revived while doing everything in their power to ensure they can't be a simple five-minute tutorial that explains the functions of each class would alleviate this immensely. As it stands, I need to fight World War I with sticks <laughs> and stones. With regards, Grizzly. P.S. I would also like to complain that the new Assassin's Creed Revenant, which I don't know what is that, <laughs> no. wastes a lot of time trying to be the computer game version of Westworld rather than just wanting to be a good Western, but you'll undoubtedly address this in a future pod. What? Do we? Are we? What is that? <laughs> is they? Is it cowboy? What? Wait, do we? Have we missed an uh, ass creed? 
Maybe it's like a Revenant mobile one? isn't a thing that we said in our list of no, things. No, it's also in a different film. Have we... Could you Google this, please? I'm going to Google this. Talk amongst yourselves. Yeah, Re- Revenant. Hang on, didn't you... Oh, no, you said Revenge. Okay, well, so was the grudge um, players not using these features or the game not having a tutorial or... I think it's anger that uh, all... <laughs> <laughs> that this problem is happening at all. I mean, I think that that is probably quite... Well, not close, but it's... Um, uh, there was a general feeling that uh, the people higher up were perhaps not... Uh, cognizant of the needs of those on the battlefield mm. um in in that conflict i mean obviously it's not really on a similar level to not having a tutorial but mm. there was a certain think, amount of why the hell are you sending me into battle with a horse that's going to get shot i mean there's i mean like this is this is to be honest there's not really a tutorial grudge this is a why don't people play support grudge which is in by extension a why do people design tutors where if people don't do the boring thing the game is bad um problem mm. i would argue i think that's fair i have googled it i have no idea what assassin's creed revenant refers to no. <laughs> at all were, were there no results or no nothing that for that specifically the new do you think this is like an e3 stealth announcement uh, maybe <laughs> we've accidentally just broken <laughs> some embargo on exactly the nose um uh, how do you that'd be a great this... twist of like the far cry is not western but assassin's creed is yeah <laughs> so you've played battlefield one. one yes is this a fair assessment of the situation I mean, and is it annoying? yes it's uh i mean it's a fair to say that in any in any game particularly a, a large scale game with lots of players like battlefield people mm. don't tend to really perform the support roles people want to go out and have an adventure and i don't think i don't think the game does enough to i mean it doesn't do enough it, you know, it definitely rewards people f- with points for doing those things and in turn with victories. Mm. But it, what it doesn't do is make that those systems as fun as shooting a gun or flying yeah. a plane or driving a tank, which is I kind of what people are there the, for. The flip side of this is like, obviously it doesn't hold in all of the things that have been annoying, but if they aren't doing it right, then you do it, you know? That's kind of why yeah. I end up playing support a lot is because you know, I'd rather actually do it than have the arguments with the people who are shouting, why isn't someone healing? Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, Obviously, that's not to criticise Grizzly. It's more just a kind of, it doesn't sound like that would fix the problem. It's like just them being prepared to switch to a different role. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, games don't do enough to either reward you for good healing in a way that makes you want to actually do it for other people Mm. or you know make all of the roles equally exciting i think i mean to be honest i think i think the notion of support outside of a few genres that do it well is a really problem kind of it's basically where the people who would rather avoid conflict uh, in terms of with their teammates. It's get like I mean, shunted. It's the way um, it, it happens all over the place. Like it's one of the reasons I've always argued that healing as a concept in certain games um, breaks those games and requires everything to be revolved around, um, you know, mitigating healing in some way. That you're, you know, you're as soon as healing is as an option, like live healing in combat, the 
the drama, the nature of a competition changes completely mm. because, you know, effective health pools become much bigger than stated health pools and therefore damage values have to account for the amount of health someone might have in potential, not mm. in sort of absolute values. It's like, um, you know, it's it's the reason that um, something like Overwatch can often feel like quite, I mean, even TF2, these are good games, but they can often feel quite fuzzy from a competitive point of view because how much health someone effectively has is this weird sliding value. Whereas if you play Counter-Strike, for example, a game that has no healing, um, damage means a lot. Every bullet means a lot more. Getting winged at the beginning might change the outcome of a fight later in the match. It doesn't make these more or less viable as fun experiences, but I think it makes them more or less viable as as gratifying competitive experiences. Um, I think something that has occurred to me a few times, but more just in passing, so hopefully the thought will come out in the right ballpark even if it's not perfectly expressed but there's a certain amount of sometimes support feels almost like you've sort of said oh and you can be the homemaker you know like oh you're the one that sort of prepares things and makes it all nice for us Mm. and looks after us and then we'll go off and do the fun things it's kind of like being left you know like everyone goes out for a picnic and you're the one with the hamper and the baby wipes and the you know like the bug spray and the sun cream and you know like and and everyone else has just assumed that you'll take care of it and it's that kind of thankless kind of thing that can often feel like and obviously this is gendered but it happens to you know anyone but it does feel like you've ended up in the mum role and not in a good way in the shitty thankless yeah oh well you'll look after us while we do fun things the the magic of dota is that every role is individually really thankless um and everyone (laughs) has access to that experience (laughs) it's the only game to get it right by making everyone miserable (laughs) because <laughs> everyone is capable of being let down by their teammates that aren't doing their specific thing right uh, you can have the holiday elf thanks <laughs> the hated card <laughs> the hated holiday elf yes if you've ever received a surprise prezi for christmas there's an elfy chance this friendly little chap made it Gosh. wow there's a real uh sistine chapel ceiling thing going on here where every time Pip tries to pass a card to Chris because they can't quite touch. <laughs> so I have to facilitate the exchange. Is that the creation Are of you Adam? an angel? Yeah. Is that what this is? <laughs> yeah, that's more or less my role. You're one of the uh, the angelic host. <laughs> oh, God. Well, I'm going to award myself a flamenco dancer. Excellent. cool. <laughs> Pip, does this go in the Book of Grudges? Uh, yes, it does. Other people are awful. Okay, good. <laughs> Goes into the category of all people. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Sorry, I don't know whether I've been... like. I, I thought maybe I should have an actual process by which I explain it a bit more rather than saying just yes to everything. I don't think it's necessary, yeah. really. Um, I mean, we can just get away with honking. Oh, okay, we'll honk. All right, good. Mm. Honk, honk. And that is all the honking we've got time for. If you'd like to honk us a question for a future honkisode, you can do so by honking at questions at <laughs> creightoncrowbar.com. You could also honk at our community on Discord. The link for that is on our website, greatandcrowbar.com. You can also honk at us on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash greatandcrowbar or at greatandcrowbar, as that is more commonly expressed. I got a bit confused. Um, <laughs> There's the Bloodborne series? Yeah, I was about to say that. This week, we started what will be a very, very long series for Tom Senior and I, which is our Bloodborne playthrough, years after promising that we would do a special podcast on the brilliant Souls game from, from software that was never on PC. Um, we decided we're just going to finally resurrect kind of both that idea and the 
Dark Souls playthroughs that Rich and, and Tom Senior and, and uh, well, Rich Danton and Tom Senior and Marsh did way back when um, as a new series that will be coming out weekly until we finish that game, which could take a year, but we'll <laughs> get there eventually. Uh, first episode is up now on our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash Creighton Crowbar. And this is probably the best example so far of something that we're specifically able to do because of the Patreon. Um, while we've used it to support the pod in other ways and to, to bring other things in and to do things like the Miniatures podcast, which is coming back pretty soon as well. Um, we actually went out and bought capture kits and stuff so that we could pull decent footage from a PS4 to do this and maybe to do some more things like this in the future. So thank you to all of our Patreon backers for that. And if you'd like to find out about supporting the podcast, you can find out more at patreon.com forward slash create and crowbar. And in fact, another direct consequence of the Patreon and the things it's allowing us to support is we'll have some actual proper guests on next week. A thing I forgot to tell both of you. <laughs> oh, cool. I think I told Pip, maybe. So um, the Tokyo 42 guys will be joining cool. us next week um, oh. for a special pod, telling you that now. So if you have any questions specifically for them, feel free to send them in. Um, but yeah, they'll be joining us next week for the podcast and again thanks to our patreon backers for making the magic happen Aww. with money the magic maker here you go have a robot for doing that well thanks pip are you saying that my ability to occasionally do the out out and fuck <laughs> nope you can that. give the robot <laughs> i'm giving back. the robot back <laughs> I, oh <laughs> <laughs> I was really happy. I got a nice one. I know. Rather than the things you'd given me previously, like hated elf, sad janitor. <laughs> Fine, have the robot back. Just don't, you know. Sympathy robot. Yeah. yeah. Sympathy. The atomic weight of a wacky witch is three. No, it's six. <laughs> <laughs> but it's Content much, much like less this. than the other cards. The so other hang cards on, hang on. What did, what did you all end up with? I got a wacky witch. I got a plant monster. I got two bears. I got a mime, I got a sh guy in a shark suit, I got a hippie. I got a shiny robot, I got a welder, I got Sam, hated Sam. <laughs> I got a tree, I got the alien avenger, I got the mermaid. You I got, got the, some good ones. The hated holiday elf well, yeah. and sad janitor. I also have clumsy guy and skier. Yeah, I was going to say what happened to the skier. He's one half of He's the He's hanging penguin. out with Clumsy Guy, and Clumsy uh. Guy is still silent. Well, Clumsy Guy and Mime are both silently smothering the skier. Well, I am snow. going to award myself the Queen, and I had the Flamenco Dancer, and I also get the Chameleon and the Dinosaur, and <laughs> the Jewel Thief, and the Monkey, and the Koala. <laughs> Don't you already have all these anyway? And the Square Foot, and... Uh, the night. Pip. Yeah. Let's end the podcast. No, but I just wanted all of the good ones. <laughs> but you can. What? Is, are, you, are you done? I could read out my Twitter name if you need me to. A little bit. It's at Philippa War. How'd you spell that? P H I L I P P A W A double R. Tom. I'm at Pentadact. P E N T A D A C T. And I'm at C Thurston, that's C-T-H-U-R-S-T-E-N. Tom says his name so fast that it's actually younger than he is. <laughs> <laughs> because of the twin Because of relativity? Because it moves too far away from your mouth too fast. <laughs> okay, the, the twin paradox does not allow for that. It checks out. <laughs> <laughs> I asked science. <laughs>
<laughs> I have the true. mad scientist in look. Crazy scientist. The Pentax is only nine and I'm a lot older than that. Well. Anyway. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. everybody.